You want to do the thing? Do the thing? Yeah. All right. I'm I'm doing the thing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is about every podcast episode. What the fuck episode are we on? 33. 33. Um... And we have a very special guest with us today. Um, so in addition to Eddie and myself, I also have uh, my daughter, Emerald, who uh, is going to be here for a few minutes because she wants to talk to us about The Flash. Say hello. Hola. No, there you go. She's a professional. As um, professional as we are. So um, I don't know that Emerald is actually caught up completely with The Flash. So let's let's do a high level of The Flash. Yeah. What was the last episode you watched? Uh, the one where that guy, um, uh, does the thing. Yes. <laughs> that is my favorite episode, actually. Um, so, okay, well, let's talk about this. Um, uh, I think it was the one with the girl that took the serum, the Right, okay, the, the yeah, yeah, the V9. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. see, she watches. Trajectory. Yeah, Trajectory mm-hmm. was her name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I forgot her name. Okay, um... So what did you think about that episode? Uh, it was weird. Like the part where all of a sudden she was gone, that was just weird. That was all of a sudden. Yeah. Um. I I think that was probably a um don't do drugs kids. Yeah. Episode. I did feel like this was like the flash PSA episode. Yeah. Uh, actually, we haven't even talked about this on the on this show yet because it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a regular show. So it has actually. Um. So Emmy Emmy's been watching the Flash TV series for uh well since it came out and in fact uh she's really excited because under the Christmas tree uh the kids got season 1 on Blu-ray. Ooh. Uh the kids did? Yes. The kid the, did the kids. The kids did. Yeah, the kids did. I mean, you'll share it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um right. so like my wife keeps making fun of me because I got my son a, a PS4 for him. Right. Entirely. You got it. Yeah. You got it for I Jack don't. for sure. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so Ems, what do you like about the flash? What is it that, that makes you want to keep watching every week? It's not cheesy. That's good. I mean, as not cheesy as a comic book show can be. Yeah. She did not see this week's episode of the arrow. That's for sure. No, 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 no. Um, so, okay. Here's another thing. Um, Emmy actually went with us, uh, the night of the, uh, Batman versus Superman opening and and watch that with us she was she was a trooper and sitting in the theater with us until uh what a quarter after midnight or whenever it got out um we saw a little bit of the flash in that what do you think about that flash as compared to the flash that we see every week on tv uh he has long hair and that's weird yeah that is weird you only saw him for a minute which eh, that's not very that kind of sucked here's the other thing he also did not see the v9 episode of the flash because he's really high all the time (laughs) definitely <laughs> See, don't do drugs drugs kids this yes. this is exactly why i don't like him as uh, the flash because i thought like that ep- that interview must have been like an isolated incident where we would get something entirely different and no it turns out he's just fucking scooby-doo or uh, shaggy 100 percent of the time yeah. yeah yeah um so okay so you like you like the flash tv series because it's not cheesy um what else do you like about the show um i it seems like they actually thought the characters through very true she again does not watch arrow does no. She? <laughs> no um but that's because it's kind of depressing and yeah. dumb these yeah. days yeah but uh we'll get into that later on in the show folks okay so what other characters on the flash do you like besides barry allen i like iris 
Iris. The she, intrepid reporter, Iris. Yeah. Um, what about bad guys? Do you like any of the bad guys? I mean, I liked Trajectory. You like Trajectory? Yeah. Um, how about, uh, oh, how about the team dynamic? What do you, what do you think about the Flash team? What do you mean? Like Caitlin and Cisco and, and, uh, now Dr. Wells from Earth 2 and whatnot. They, they seem like they do mostly anything for each other. That's. That's, try to do as much as possible for Barry. That is very true. That is indeed true. Yeah. Did you read a lot of comic books before you started watching The Flash? No, uh, not really. No. She's she's kind of starting a little bit to to dive into more superhero comics and whatnot. She actually read a series. Um, it was a six issue mini series. That's not a superhero show um, or series, but one of her her first like comic collections. I think it was actually seven. Okay. Do you remember what that was called? The, um, um, the legend um, of Oz. You didn't get it out for so long. I know. <laughs> she was in a box upstairs. I know. She she was reading the Legend of Oz: Tales of the Wicked West, the first. That actually sounds kind of cool. It, yeah, it's kind of steampunky. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound cool. I haven't actually read them all, but I, I, I leaped through. The art's really good in it. Um, she actually saw it in, in the comic store and wanted to get uh, all of them. And so we, we found as many of them as we could. And we were missing one issue. And then... Um, I think it was like two or three or something. Yeah. And then where did we end up finding that issue? Uh, Comic-Con. It was the Emerald City edition. Um, this was the Wizard World Comic-Con from, uh, from Portland. And it, the... Uh, I forget the name of the publisher of it. Big Dog or Top Dog or something stupid like that um i don't pay attention to those things but the actual the like the the publishers were there and they're they had a booth and so she went flipping through the the things and she ended up finding the issue that she needed and it was like an exclusive comic-con emerald city comic-con only edition that she picked nice. up so she's got her whole set there uh see starting them young yeah she's gonna dwarf your comic collection by the time she's your age and that's she's harassing me because i haven't gotten them out for, for so long that's because they're in one of my <laughs> long boxes and they're completely bagged and boarded <laughs> bummer but i'll get them out for her which they could still be put back in the boards and bags and stuff yeah you're right so um and what other comic books have you started reading you have comic books i have cheesy kid comic books that's okay what are they uh have tiny titans and stuff which is the emphasis for the teen titans go yeah, like I think that's yeah. the basis. Oh, for I think that. I have one Teen Titans Go. I think you might. And then we picked up at Costco last week. What did we get at Costco? Oh, the oh, what was it called? Crap! What was it called? I wasn't there, so I got nothing here. <laughs> well, I wasn't even there. I just I found it and. Man, if ever I needed a notebook. <laughs> What's it called? And a little little Gotham. Okay. We got a we got a hardbound uh, collection of the first uh, I think six issues is what it covers, the first full story arc or something like that I don't remember, um, which is similar to, to Tiny Titans but it's all Batman esque. Nice. So, anyhow, anything else you want to talk about while you're here? Do you want to talk more about the Flash? So, um, sure. for those of you wondering well, you at home, yes, it really is my daughter, and yes, it is weird that she has to be prompted to talk unlike her father 
<laughs> yeah, that must skip a generation or something. It must. You really can't get him to shut Maybe up. Maybe they're trying to even out, yeah. Like the universe is like, well, I guess we gave all the talking to that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to say goodnight to Emerald because it is actually past her bedtime um, at this point in time. Um, Make me sound like I'm a child. Bedtime, bedtime. Well, you are, you kind are kind of a child. Kind man. of 12. And I mean that in the lucid sense of the word 12 because that's actually not until like 21 days from now. Bedtime. It is bedtime. Affirmative. But here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you on the show uh, again sometime in the future. And we'll actually, I'll, I'll help you prep for it. And we'll take notes and whatnot on things that you want to talk about that way. Because we have notes that we look at. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what to do. And, and, and if you had actually watched all the same episodes we had, it would probably be easier for you to actually just mm-hmm. get into it. But Yeah. Although... You don't watch much TV at mom's house, and I'm not really, I'm not here all that often, and we really are busy when I am here. Yeah, here's the thing. We usually only talk about one episode of The Flash or one episode of Arrow or whatever per show. I mean, we talk about all those shows every week, but we are generally not three episodes behind when we do it. I'm way more than, like, three. Yeah, but hear me out. This will be easy in the future because... We'll just, the week that you're going to come on, we'll have you sit down and watch a couple of shows in a row. Yeah. And then we'll have you write some things down that you noticed about the episode or whatnot. And that way, when we sit down to talk about it, you can actually talk about the things that you noticed during the show, things that you thought could be different, things that you liked the way they did things, stuff like that. Word? Yeah. All right. Say goodnight, Emerald. Good night. All right. Good night, Amy. All right, everybody. So on this week uh, uh, episode on the oh, fuck, <laughs> what he's what he's trying to say is on this week this we, week's episode we have a shit ton of things to talk about because we haven't sat down and done this for a couple weeks. Yeah, actually, the last time we sat down together was with the uh, Batman versus Man or Batman versus Superman roundtable episode, and we of course did the preceding episode with Sam, um, but that that was two weeks ago at this point. So yeah, we have a show notes so long um, that like it's honestly making me feel a little bit emasculated. Can can I just tell you something? As much fun as I have doing the roundtable shows, it's actually kind of nice just to sit down and, and do a regular show. Just BS, yeah. 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 Yeah, I like it. Um, It's hard enough to keep the show under control with me here, let alone the yeah. Summers Brothers and whatnot. Yeah. Cupcake. Th- those, those just like, it's like, I would say it's like a train that goes off the rails, but we barely ever get on the rails. It's like a train that occasionally hits the rails. Like somebody built the train and just set it down on some gravel and they're like, all right, let's go. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Fire this bitch up. Um, so anyway, on this week, we're, uh, this week's episode, we're going to talk about the flash some more. We're going to talk about arrow. We've got Supergirl news. We've got all kinds of Batman versus Superman follow-up to talk about. I'm sure. Um, the walking dead. And we read our comic books this week, folks. We're finally going to talk about the dark Knight, uh, um, the master race. We're going to talk about saga, uh, which I couldn't help it. So I read all of and, uh, spawn. Um, so let's get to it. All right. Um, first thing, um, this is a little bit, uh, late now because, uh, we didn't it's, do the show last week weeks, and whatnot, yeah. but uh, we wanted to kind of wish uh, Gary Shandling uh, a fond farewell. Uh, I And I'm a little bit older, so um, I guess this kind of probably is more pertinent maybe to me, although I, I think Eddie probably understands a little bit more. So Gary Shandling, I, I remember when I was a kid, um, I used to stay down at my grandparents sometimes, as, as you do when you're a kid and whatnot. 
Um, unless your grandparents are dead, in which case, that's too bad. It'd be a little bit weirder to stay at their place then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I that I used to get to do when I would stay there is I would stay up kind of late and watch some um, semi-late night television. Um, and it's the Gary Shandling show was one of my favorite things to watch over See, there. Now when Arsenio dies, like that's going to be my episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I thought the show was was really funny and it and it really wasn't like most late night TV shows because it was it was really kind of almost a parody of itself. Um, which then kind of led into the Larry Sanders show, which was exactly that um, and fucking amazing. Um, the dude was super funny. Um, and then for people that listen to our show regularly, um, if you didn't watch any of his Larry Sanders stuff or any of his other talk show stuff before that, uh, you probably recognize him as um, Senator Stern from uh, Iron Man 2 and uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Yep. Um, I think he's been elsewhere in the MCU too. Like I think he might have been on S.H.I.E.L.D possibly yeah um so yeah uh you talk all you want i i really um like you said i this gary shandling i i really know best from the mcu which you know kind of speaks to how unfamiliar with his work in general i am um yeah i don't i don't have a ton to really expound on other than the fact that like i mean the fact that we're doing the show right now um which has kind of a basis in, in humor and whatnot like everybody that does a show um that is totally okay with poking fun at themselves and, and everything else. They kind of owe a debt to Gary Shandling, um, in, in those terms. So, uh, just, uh, he's, he's going to be missed uh, a lot actually by a lot of comedians and, and other people that, that grew up watching his stuff. So, uh, that's, that's basically it. Um, so long, farewell, sayonara. Alvita send goodbye. There you go. Um, so we're going to open up the show with a little bit of lighthearted news, but uh, we've got a new zombie movie coming out. Uh, yesterday. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, and I missed it. I was really going to watch this. Like it's a, a Siffy original. Siffy. Yeah. Uh, which you you know means quality. Right. From the from the folks that brought you Sharknado 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Lava Lantula? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we... We have a, a a movie that's out now. You can probably find it um, on demand or whatever. Did it actually happen? That's what I want to know. Because it was scheduled for release on April Fool's Day, so I'm kind of curious as to whether or not it actually happened. You know, and I, I totally I fucking didn't even pay attention. I I don't know. It's entirely possible we're, we're reporting an April Fool's joke. It a day late even, and we're still not informed. So amazing. Yeah. Um. But this movie, uh, is got to be amazing. It's, For sure, it's um, it's called Dead Seven, and it sounds scary. It stars members of um bands that everybody knows a little bit about, the Backstreet Boys, In Sync. Yeah, um, I think O Town makes an appearance in here. <laughs> they might have actually died, so this this that makes sense. Yeah, um, like O Town's actual zombies in this show. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's basically some, some, uh, past members of boy bands. And I say past because come on guys, you're not selling out stadiums anymore. Sorry. You're not Timberlake. The rest of you are kind of on your own. Yeah. It's too bad. He can come in. I I don't see him anywhere in here. That would be really cool. Like, you know, I'm almost wondering if he didn't show up, if it was more of a scheduling thing than anything else, because that dude seems like he's probably okay. He he would do that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, See, Timberlake's an asshole too because he's one of those people that like is just super talented that you want to hate but you can't because he's just such a nice guy. This is what pisses me off about Timberlake. Have you ever heard that guy play guitar? 
No. He's really good at it. Oh, wasn't that the punked episode? Um, he didn't actually play the guitar, but he got super, super pissed off. Like, like he looked like he was going to cry because uh, uh, one of the boys fucked up his guitar. Something like that, yeah. yeah I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, there's been clips and things like that on, on TV over the last, like, 10 years or whatnot of mm-hmm. him actually, like, sitting down and, like, writing music on guitar and whatnot. And the dude, I don't know, man. Like, I can't... It's It's hard for me to sit here and diss anybody's music because music is something different to everybody yeah for sure um teenage me would have i'd have made i'd have totally made fun of this but yeah um but i just don't understand how a guy that can actually play guitar and as good of a songwriter as, as he is like it kind of seems almost like a waste of talent to do the things that he's doing versus yeah see i don't know um, and, and again i'm not trying to take shots i'm, I'm just because what he's doing is not my thing obviously so but I can't do what he can do with an instrument. And yeah, it seems to me like if I could, I would, I think that's just us being old, like metal heads, you know, like, uh, <laughs> um, you, you don't play a real instrument, you know, that's not music, uh, essentially like we're, we're like get off our lawn sort of people yeah. with, when it comes to stuff like this. So yeah, I, I do. I've taken a little bit more of an open mind about it these days. Um, and in part, because I kind of like, I kind of like Justin Timberlake's music these days, which again, uh, past me probably working on time travel right now to come pick uh come kick right now me's ass about this statement so here's the thing i haven't really listened to anything that he's done in a while yeah um i mean he brought sexy back he did and you know what's weird is like guys that played um really fucking stellar music back in the 90s when i was uh you know a, a young lad uh, dudes like Chris Cornell, like Chris Cornell went off and did his weird thing where he was oh, totally uh, with scream and stuff like that. And all of a sudden people are like, Chris Cornell's the new Justin Timberlake. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Cornell has done some weird shit over the years. He really has. Yeah. Um, but also some spectacular shit. And I'm sure that Timberlake's young and he's not done. And I, I think probably honestly more than anything. Um, Did, and, didn't Cornell have an album produced by Timbaland? That scream. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So, um, anyway, this is, I don't know how we got off on the tangent. Well, I guess I, I kind of know how we got off on the tangent, but, um, yeah, dead seven, check it out. Siffy. Yeah. I refuse to call it sci-fi. No, everybody should like, Hey, let's alienate our core audience by trying to make them think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're too cool for them. Essentially people, people that watch our shit are fairly proficient with English language. Let's convince them that sci-fi is now spelled like this yep of course yeah. it's all about branding uh all right let's talk about something less depressing dc uh we got a lot of news in the Dude. dc universe this you say week. less de- less depressing but then we've got arrow to talk about yeah we'll get there uh let's talk about like i said less depressing uh not depressing in fact the flash um so let's, there's been a couple of things that happen in the flash universe let's actually kind of um you want to jump around yeah let's 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 hit supergirl first yeah we would <laughs> Uh, you're cutie back Melissa Benoist yeah or however you say your name and I'm sorry if I said it wrong but you don't listen to my show so whatever no if she did she she doesn't now yeah <laughs> um so uh, the, the, well I don't know if we um talked about the episode before the crossover but I really want to talk about the crossover um we didn't talk we haven't talked about this show since it came back really from the mid-season break because uh I was behind for a lot of episodes and then so that would be the Manhunter episode yeah Mm, yes i believe so yeah 
Uh, so the Manhunter episode was really good too. Like I think that was really where I kind of got on board. Honestly, the last several episodes have been really good, minus some things in the crossover episode that I'm gonna get to. But see, I really like the crossover episode. So I'm I did too. To but there was some shit dialogue and mm. one specific scene, like very specific that I'll I'll get to. But um, this show is funny, and I'm gonna kind of segue and bounce back and forth between Supergirl and Arrow a little bit because when this season started, Arrow started out pretty strong, stronger anyway, and Supergirl was one of those shows that we basically didn't have nice things to say about it every week, and no, we said them anyway because we didn't listen to our teachers when we were younger. Yeah, we we said mostly mean things like you you can't write a show. Are any of you actually actors? Has anybody read a comic book before? Right. Yeah, those types of things. Yeah, we said things like that. Um, And now it's weird because on Mondays I'm like, oh, there's Supergirl tonight. Yeah. And then on Wednesday I'm like, what the fuck am I going to watch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is entirely weird. Like I was, I think um, we were talking about this over text or something uh, earlier this week. It's like, what the hell sort of backwards ass Earth 3 are we on where I want to watch Supergirl every week, but I could give a shit about Arrow? Yeah. 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 Or where I'm like, oh man, Supergirl, that show's getting to be pretty well done, and I'm like, but Arrow, what the hell? So, um, some some key things, and because we've watched these over the course of a couple of weeks, so I don't remember everything that's happened in every single episode now. But uh, with Supergirl, one of the episodes that I really really dug um, was where that lady came back, the one who is anti alien and whatnot. Um, it was the mm-hmm. one where John Jones John Jones was outed as an alien. Yep, that that's the Manhunter episode. Yeah, really like that episode a lot. That was actually super good. I really enjoyed it too, especially because I'm really excited to see Manhunter being done on TV. Yeah, like I, I was, I was uh, sort of skeptical at first because I think we didn't find out he was the Manhunter until like episode six or seven, and at this point in the show, we were still kind of on the fence about whether or not it was even going to be watchable. Um, but yeah, it, the Manhunter episode was really fun, and it actually is doing the character pretty well. I think. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, there's some there's some pretty interesting dynamics going on right now. Um, James Olsen is now broken up with uh, uh, Lucy Lane, uh, who mm-hmm. would have who was just like, hey, I'm in the military now and I'm a fucking captain or something. Yep, basically. Um, so they didn't really expound on that a whole lot. Although I I think they have explained that she was in the military before and whatnot, so it wasn't super. Yeah, and her dad, her dad's kind of a big deal in the military. Yeah. She's probably just like, here's a couple of ten promotions. Um, so, but at the end of, at the end of the day though, at the end of that episode, we find, um, both, uh, John Jones and, uh, the sister whose name escapes me this time. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> anyway. I gave, I was like, Kara, nope, not Kara, Kara, is it Ka- Car? Nope. Fuck. Yeah. Danvers. Yeah. Lady Other Danvers. Danvers. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're kind of, they've been expelled from the DEO. And yeah. when I say expelled, I mean they're kind of fugitives and whatnot. Yeah, they can well, um Lady Danvers and Supergirl incognito um sort of broke uh John Jones out of uh holding um basically, you know, freedom so he wouldn't have to go be like a military science experiment or some shit like that. Uh so now they're on the run. Yeah. And our our uh Lucy runs the DEO. Yeah. Uh at God, how did that happen? I can't remember how it was how she ended up being second in command. So the uh, oh that was that was all John Jones. Um, yeah. So he did his little mind wipey thing on uh, oh, right, on right, the, right. the other guy that was an asshole. 
Yeah. Um, and then also planted the suggestion that he should resign and, and appoint Lucy as, as immediately as the head of the DEO. Yeah. So, um, and that's, I think, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic dynamic because of the fact that, uh, James and her had broken up recently. Um, there's all of a sudden romantic interest in between James and, and, uh, not all of a sudden. Cause I mean, she's always dug the dude. Yeah. It's kind of been going on since the beginning of the season, like a Ross and Rachel sort of, but bullshit, it's now but... being acknowledged and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, at least by the, them two together. Right. Um, and the interesting part about it is, is the spurned ex-girlfriend actually doesn't give a shit. She's just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And so I think that's going to make for interesting television. Um, better than the whole like you hate me blah blah because I hate that bullshit. Oh yeah, I'm actually really kind of glad when I see a, a TV show go for what looks like to be one of those stupid tropes and then kind of move right around it. Right. Like this is one of the things that I really liked about The Flash early on is they you thought that they were going to be like hiding Barry's identity for like two, three, four seasons or something like that, and instead like five minutes in, Joe's like, "So you're the Flash," and Barry's like, "Yup." Yeah. Yeah. Um. And now the only person on that show that doesn't know is Wally. Yeah, basically. Who's also going to be the Flash. So, you know. Yep. There you go. Yep. Um. So, speaking of the Flash, let's talk about the most recent episode of Supergirl. Because this episode, um, and I did say I had some negative things to say about it. For the most part, though, this episode was a lot of fun. Oh, I loved it. Um, so there are some parts that are kind of like uh, cringy as far as the dialogue department goes, but I really enjoyed this episode, especially because one of the big things that was pointed out to me somewhere online was uh, we get fun Barry back. Yeah. Like no worrying about like Barry, like I got to stop Zoom and I'm all broody and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, Barry runs out and gets ice cream cones and comes back and everybody's happy. Yeah. Um, so let me touch on the things that I didn't like about the episode so that we can then focus on all of the, the, the fun stuff with it. Um, I really hated the old compliment sandwich, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I really hated the scene, um, that led up like, like, like the, basically the, the battle in the park and whatnot. Oh yeah. It was kind of dumb. That whole scene was just really, really poorly written. Um, and that's gotta be something having to do with the parallel universe that Supergirl exists in compared to Barry, because people don't just all of a sudden stand up behind somebody and they're like, no, you can't hurt Supergirl. Leave her alone. Yeah. <laughs> that was so weak. That was so weak, especially because they just got done showing her like totally destroying the city. And then she saves like 10 kittens or something like that. And the audience is like, you unlocked the forgiveness badge. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, Cause like the whole point of that episode was Barry's like, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh look, it didn't happen overnight. It happened before night even came. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's like 10 ding. My, my Siri timer went off. I, I just had to wait 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that part was kind of bad. And it's they like, were, that was, that was a little ham fisted yeah, uh, to say, to say the penalty box or something. Cause now uh-huh. all of a sudden everybody likes her again. Yep. They're like, never mind. Totally forget you, you know, dro- destroying all the property and stuff. Oh, it's cool. we didn't talk about that episode at all. The, the red, the red K. I, yeah. yeah. We have to, we have to backtrack a little bit because I want to like my favorite part about that whole thing was the homage they paid to Superman three with her getting drunk and flicking the peanuts through the liquor bottles. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was amazing. I loved it too because I think one of them was like, "What are you doing?" and and I was like, uh, "You're the audience in this one, you know." Yeah, yeah. That 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 was a super great episode. Um, it is a little. Uh, I I kind of found it to be a little bit like, um, you know, you can't just keep repeating Superman stories, sort of thing. But it was still fun to watch. So. Well, we're gonna talk about that too later on because I have an article about must read Supergirl stories. Yeah. Um. Oh, I didn't read that one. It's. So, 
It'll be fresh to me. I, I can walk you, you through most of it. Yeah, you get to watch my amazement and enjoyment on the show, folks, live. <laughs> um, okay, so back to the Flash episode, though, of Supergirl. Um, hands down, one of the best pieces of dialogue that I have ever heard in a TV show was, again, with with Supergirl, this, this kind of doesn't surprise me, Calissa Flockhart. Oh, <laughs> with with, with yeah. the three with Win and or I guess there's the four of them because Supergirl and Win and um, Jimmy Olsen and and uh, Barry were all standing in the office and just made that comment about the yeah. uh, racially you, diverse. Yeah, you look like a racially diverse group hand selected by the CW. You know, like yeah. a, a CW cast or something like that. Yeah, and Barry's like, oh man. Yeah, <laughs> thought it was amazing. I thought that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Because the CW is a thing in this universe. Yeah, that that is that is super funny too. Like, I wonder if they have like a what what does the CW even do in this universe? Yeah, is it just like uh, they're on like season sixty nine of uh, Supernatural? Something probably. Something. Um, also, another thing that I noticed too, and I didn't notice, and it's probably been going on for the entire time that the show's been on. But um, when you watch the Flash and Arrow, the news channel is always Channel Fifty Two, mm-hmm. which is obviously an homage to the Fifty Two titles from DC and whatnot. Faux show. Uh, when you watch Supergirl, the news channel is 25. It's so it's a mirror of, oh, that's clever too. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um, also what do you, I, and I didn't really see how this fit in with the flash storyline until we actually watched the flash on Tuesday. So this episode of Supergirl actually obviously takes place after this last week's episode of the flash. Yeah, for sure. Um, which took me a, a, a minute. So, um, it doesn't actually kind of matter what order you watch those in too. So if you already watched the flash and you didn't see this episode of Supergirl cause you never watched that show before I, I, you can go back and watch it and it doesn't really matter. I kept waiting for the in universe explanation from the flash, but I don't really think we really got one. I mean, we I know think we're going to get one later on. I think maybe it pops up, but I think it's going to be like, Hey Barry, did you slip into another universe again? You know, like, yeah. It, like that sort of thing like it's not really explained and it doesn't really need to be i mean we know barry can do this kind of shit we know there are multiple earths and multiverse and all that stuff there's a cool multiverse joke in the, the crossover as well um actually there's a really well-written piece of dialogue between uh barry uh james Kara, and and when when he's explaining the multiverse uh-huh. and my favorite thing is like when totally goes cisco ramon yeah yeah like just for a minute and that's the first time that when I think has actually been used in the way that makes the most sense, which is exactly the way they use Cisco on the flash, which is to represent us, the audience within the show. You know, it probably has to do with the similar creatives and executive teams behind it. Um, you know, Ber- Berlanti, I'm, I'm talking about Ber- Berlanti. Right. Um, but they are set up in a very similar manner. It's just that Wynn gets such shit treatment compared to Cisco. Exactly. Uh, but like we have very similar archetypes in both shows. Uh, so it's kind of funny that they don't do more of that or they don't use the characters more in that way because that is still something that isn't well done in Supergirl, especially compared to The Flash. Exactly. And although also for anybody wondering how a CBS show was able to get away with making a crack about the CW and whatnot. Uh, I think we might have explained this on a previous episode as well, but um, the CW actually is co-owned by CBS and Warner Brothers, so it's a 50-50 venture for that. So they can they can talk trash about their own channel if they want. They can. Um, and I think you and I both decided that if they do another crossover and uh, they don't do a meetup between Cisco and when that we're 
probably gonna go pitchforks. shit on their doorstep or something. Yep, pitchforks coming out. Uh, that that I'd ship that. Like, fuck Elicity, we could do that. Win it, win in, uh, win in Cisco. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that, like they they have to be homosexual. I just mean like the win in Cisco show would be a lot of fun to watch. No, I think it'd be a lot of fun because yeah. they would both go on a, go off on their little tangents. Yeah, explaining things. Meanwhile, our heroes would be standing there going. Hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time for this. We need to go punch something now. Yeah. All right. So that's going to segue us into The Flash. I think, um, obviously, we both like the episode. You should go watch it if you haven't. If you're yeah. on the fence about Supergirl, I think this is still going to be a fun episode to watch. It isn't perfect by any means, but it's, pre- it's pretty good. My, my one parting remark is that it's really, really... I don't know if Grant Gustin basically is kind of in charge of his own lines or, or what, but... Um, it's oh. his delivery is like you can tell that he's way way comfortable delivering those lines of dialogue. So I don't know if they brought in his writer from um, the Flash TV show or if it was just specifically written with that character in mind or whatnot. But see, I'm really con- curious about this too because I kept thinking like this wasn't like a um, like even on the Flash Arrow crossovers, it feels like the characters are sort of subtly different. Like mm-hmm. the first the first one especially, it's like oh well, I guess Ollie's Batman now. Um, yeah. This one, though, just completely nailed it. I mean, obviously, the, fla- the Flash is the guest on this show, but they just completely nailed Barry, I thought. So. Yeah, and my wife's always making the comment that anytime the Arrow characters are on the Flash, she likes them a whole lot better. You, you know who else always makes that comment? Everybody. Yeah. Literally everybody. The entire, like, even, the, like, Stephen Amell was like, yeah, it's a lot more fun over there. Yeah. <laughs> so, why don't you take a hint, Arrow writers? Yeah. Stop fucking puking up depressing shit all the time all right we're, we're gonna save that let's let's talk about the flash and then we'll talk about arrow um, all right so the flash this week uh actually we have to go back a week or two because we got the trajectory episode we did we talked about that with emmy we did <laughs> sort so of. um the we tra- kind of covered everything on that one it really did seem kind of like a don't do drugs psa like the whole thing i mean it was interesting the way they did it with the velocity nine and whatnot um and i think we did get a little bit more of a hint there the the major takeaway for this whole episode was basically we got a little bit of a hint about what drives zoom right and it seems like it might be some sort of v9 addiction you know like he's got to keep stealing speed force before it turns into a blue blur and dissolves into stuff he's already blue that's what i want to know is how is he holding himself together i think that's got to be he's purely sustaining himself by stealing other speedsters uh speed force you think that works though I think that's the I mean, maybe maybe when it's like totally a, a drug that you're on, like it'll you'll just zoom into uh, oblivion. But like because like it's I actual think, speed force, maybe it doesn't. I think yeah, I think that that that's what allows him to maintain like before he falls apart. And like if he doesn't keep consuming speed force, he's going to essentially you know disintegrate like uh, uh, fucker trajectory. Yeah, and I also think that sort of ties in because zoom is not. Uh, um, it, it, not the little bit reminiscent of black flash yeah so um it, it's uh not not quite the same as black flash where you know black flash is literally like speed force incarnate of death um but it is sort of like zoom is also the last spe- thing a speedster sees you know essentially right so um anyway the, the trajectory episode was all right uh we get a little bit more hints about zoom and what his whole motivation is um but uh, the last week's episode, I, I really also, enjoyed. Also, uh, doesn't uh, Jesse leave? Ooh, good Isn't point. That same. Yeah, this is the one where um, Jesse decides that Doctor Wells, um, you know, the real Doctor Wells from Earth Two, her old man, yeah, Harry, uh, 
is too dangerous because he's going to keep doing whatever he can to save her, which is kind of like a shitty teenager thing for her to think. Like, of course, he's he's her father. I mean, duh. But um, she decides to take off because she doesn't want uh, Harry, you know, sacrificing the team to Zoom or anything like he tried to do the first time. Right. Yeah. Which I don't I mean, I don't think he's going to do at, at this point. I think he's kind of come to like he's had his own little catharsis, if you will, and and is kind of on the side yeah. of good now you know what i mean not i mean i don't mean kind of i mean he's he's a decent dude like, i mean he was always a decent like he was always good like primarily good the the thing that was different about him is that he's he i think just slightly tends towards sociopathy like he can yeah. just measure and weigh and and essentially take the pure analytical standpoint except for all things jesse right um but you know, I don't know. I keep. I, I hope that this arc ends with uh, him standing over Jesse's dead body. Well, or Jesse's dead body, saying, you know, like, well, see, you got what you wanted. Now, blah blah. blah you know, right. Of uh, course, that's not going to happen no. because she's Jesse Quick. But blah blah blah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that was that was that episode, and then this week's episode. I think there's one in the middle too that we didn't talk about, but I don't remember what it was honestly. Uh, think so i'm pretty sure trajectory and then we get the um barry decides to go back and get trained by uh eobard wells <laughs> harry thon yeah yeah so um yeah harry thon sounds like a different kind of show it kind of does kind of yeah. does um yeah let's talk about that episode because this episode was actually really good i liked it a lot i really did like it because it set up a lot of different things in there um first off the idea that this would work it was kind of like i i just kind of gave up and ignored the premise because it's so stupid that it's not even yeah it's not gonna work yeah like it's and not i think gonna we work. knew that going in and luckily so did they yeah <laughs> but, but like the, they're like yeah i'm just gonna travel back in time and i'm gonna trick so the, the plan essentially is that uh barry's gonna run back in time because so he thinks he has any sort of control over that the last couple of times it's happened it's been completely by mistake um but he thinks he's gonna run back in time about a year or so um precisely to you know this exact moment and and basically trick harry or uh, um eobard thon into that's the uh wells doppelganger eobard thon uh into, season one wells yeah yeah right uh the yellow the man in yellow he thinks he's gonna trick him into giving him the you know like some sort of way to run faster like the the universal speed force equation he's gonna help him solve it yeah because at this point barry's kind of discovered that it's not his legs that are um causing him to not be as fast as zoom or um uh reverse flash it's you know something beyond the physical um that that's causing it so he's like oh, i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna talk to eobard and he's gonna teach me how to do that because i'm gonna trick him somehow meanwhile earth two wells is like never gonna happen yeah you're gonna fuck stuff up he's like don't mess with the timeline and then barry gets there and immediately like sets on the last dinosaur or something like that right and, like just he goes and he's like okay don't mess up the timeline and then 10 seconds later he's like well that shit's all fucked up yeah oh well meanwhile there's a raging fucking dementor from harry potter yep chasing him De- dementor with a, a little light flash mask on which like a, i thought was totally the black flash when i first saw it when he was running so through did i, the I was like stream. oh wow this gives me a new angle on this whole zoom thing because yeah. i was like that's the black flash yeah you're gonna get your shit fucked up barry turns out not not so much no it's a time wraith um time wraiths apparently do not like when you mess with the timeline uh which has not come up at all in legends of tomorrow ironically because that's all they do is fuck up the timeline <laughs> yeah pretty much they're like they, but even that episode like Rip Hunter's like, okay, we can't mess with the timeline. And then they immediately go mess with the timeline a little bit. But Barry walks in and he's just like, just like raping the timeline. He's just like, you know what, timeline, take this, whether you like it or not. Also, I did not watch Legends of Tomorrow this week, so. We can't talk about it? No. 
No, that's okay. Uh, that's pretty much par for the course on Legends, so no spoilers there. Um, so yeah, it was a really good episode though. You should watch it. Yeah, I totally will. Uh, that's one of those ones I have to wait for the wife though, because she really likes that one. Yeah. So yeah, even though all she ever does is make fun of the white canary for looking greasy. I like the white canary. I know. Yeah, she's a girl. <laughs> Whatever. Um. So anyway, uh, yeah, I. To Eddie's point, yeah, this is kind of like Barry shows up in the past. He's like, wait, this isn't where I meant to go. And steps on whatever life form it is that eventually evolves into man. And then all of a sudden everybody has lizard tongues and butterfly wings. Yeah, basically. Not really. Um, but one of the one of the really interesting things about this is because it is a, um, a back in time thing, but it's a back in time thing to like sometime last season. Yeah. Um, and they actually did capitalize on a storyline that really happened in the show and stuff. And I thought that was cool. So we got to see some characters that we haven't seen since then. Um, Pied Piper being one. Eddie Thon being two. And uh, that dude that plays Eddie Thon, like. I kind of miss him. He walked into that into that episode and was exactly the Eddie Thon from that time period of that season and everything. And so kudos to him for being able to just step right back into those shoes and, and do what he was doing because that was that was really well done. Yeah, I really like that uh, that part of it too. Um, <clears throat> so, of course, the Flash almost immediately gets found out by Eobard. Like, it takes maybe five minutes. Yeah, he's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. And, like, so the Flash comes in and sits down and starts reading something and then, like, just, bam, right in the back of the head with a fucking brick or something. I don't know what it yeah, was. but I, I think Barry gets back. And first off, the way that Barry gets into this place is he basically drugs past him, his past self and sort of, you know, drops him uh, and then leaves him in an alley, essentially, I think. And then he, you know, comes and takes his place um, back in the uh, Star Labs. Um, and he, like, he's been there for, like, five minutes and he's like, hey, so, you know... This thing that I really shouldn't know yet about how I can't run faster than uh, anybody else, any of the other possible potential Here speedsters. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Here's this, you know, complicated equation that there's no possible way that I should have any idea of yet. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that? And also, that like, guy has bombs in his ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Eobard figures this whole thing out in, like, about four seconds, traps him into the, uh, you know, the, the white room Gideon thingy. And yes. go and you know we go from there. Locks him into a thing, and which Barry immediately tries to vibrate through, and then and then uh, Thawne is like, ah, ah, see, I haven't taught you how to do that yet, yeah. little fucker. <laughs> Tricked you again. Yeah. yeah. Um, Aren't you I, a precocious little scamp? I thought the dialogue between those two was really good, though. I really enjoyed the part where he's like, uh, when he stands up, and and he's like. You didn't react even a little bit. Yeah. He's like, uh, uh, oops. Yes. Oops. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just thought it was really well done. Um, the dialogue there because I really, okay. So Tom Cavanaugh, um, is he's like three guys on this show and he's good at all of them. He really is. Yeah. And they're all different. Like, that's the thing. Like, uh, I mean, you can play, it's easy to be like, oh, well now this is the earth two doppelganger of Harrison Wells. Um, and for all intents and purposes, he could have come in and played that character exactly the way that they played him. But it yep. wouldn't have made sense because that was Eobard Thon versus versus Wells. And so he's done a, a spectacular job of, of kind of straddling that uh, fence, so to speak. Yeah, but he's like one of the only ones, like as far as the doppelgangers go, that I actually feel like is a different person. Right. And I think that's somewhat okay <clears throat> because the other doppelgangers are supposed to be the same character, just in a different universe and whatnot. So, sort of. Um, Caitlin's better. 
Yeah. Then, like, and Cisco. Actually, I thought I thought Evil Cisco was kind of badass. Yeah, I liked Evil Cisco. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not all bad at it. I mean, it's they they are the same character to some extent. It's just different circumstances led them down different paths and whatnot. So, I guess what I mean is that um, his performance as his you know doppelgangers and counterparts and stuff like that is a lot more subtle and nuanced than anybody else's is. Like, obviously, when you paint up Caitlyn as Killer Frost or you know turn Vibe into uh, um, Neo. There's quite a bit of a, a difference there, but uh, his his performance in the show is a lot more subtle and nuanced, which I, I think I just I just really appreciate. Like he does a really good job on that. So all right, so um, after we get to the whole, uh, Ibar immediately figures out who Barry is thing, um, and Barry you know basically immediately changes the timeline by um, having them rip the bombs out of what's his face's ears and all that. Yeah. Um, he, I can't remember how he convinces Eobard that he has to get back in time, but the other Barry shows up, and they're like, yep, we got a three. Oh, he, he lies. tells him, yeah, he lies, and he's like, there's a note, and if I don't get back to my timeline, current Barry finds it, and you lose. Like Basically. And he lies and tells him that he won in the end anyway. Like He's like, nope, this plays out, and you make it back home and whatnot. Like, I'm here to fucking stop you. You know, not stop you, but what... Which. Yeah, I just this is this is another part where it was hard to suspend disbelief for me. Like, is he is Eobard really that stupid? Like, I'm coming back to get faster than you. He's uh, you not that stupid, but he is like megalomaniacal enough to assume that. Yes, assume that he I really won. could win. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, there's no reason for him not to suspect to have won. But he's like, here, give me, you know, the the all, exactly what I need to beat you, essentially, because yeah. that's the big thing in the the season one is. Um, Barry can't run as as fast as Reverse Flash, and so you know that's why he keeps getting his ass kicked, which is taken up to eleven when uh, we get to Zoom. But yeah, so Barry goes back in time, asks his arch enemy for the exact thing he needs to beat his arch enemy, and he's just like, "Well, yep, I guess I better tell you that, and I'll definitely win when I do." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does that. We get a cool little scene with uh, Barry on Barry action switching the flash logos which they do they ever explain why that happens they're just like you know what we should have given you the white one to begin with and they just trade it um well he switches it when he first gets there yeah yeah. because that's his logo from the last time i just rem- I, I what i mean is do they ever give any reason for that exp- or for, for the that white change? one yeah um I yeah i remember yeah it was in the first episode of the season what what was it? It wasn't really an explanation. It was just like Cisco's like, "Hey, I made some modifications to the suit and whatnot." Yeah, yeah, and I like, remember that part. I think the lightning bolt really pops on the white background, kind of a thing. Like yeah. that's all they really said. <laughs> they were just like, "This one looks cooler." Yeah, I and mean, it, they're, totally they're not wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So of course Barry runs back. Um. Gets back to the you know correct universe, and uh, we get there and find out that Pied Piper is now a good guy. Yeah, this was, uh, and I knew something like this was going to happen. See, I, I'm actually hoping that we get some fallout in the next episode. Here's the thing: is like I really, like I, I seriously thought that Eddie Thawne was going to be alive, and then all of a sudden Barry was going to be like, "Oh man!" Yeah, <laughs> I got, I got that. You know, like cock blocked again. You know, yeah, like, I kind of thought that they might do that, but I, I really didn't think they would. Mm, you know, I thought on a lesser show they could definitely do that. Yeah, like it would have definitely taken away a lot from his death if they just immediately sent him back with you know no consequences, basically. So, um, interesting uh, side note: Pied Piper in the comic book continuity currently is a good guy. Which you know he's, he's now he's depowered. Presumably. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, but he um is actually uh gay, 
and in a relationship with Chief Singh. That sort of fits. I mean, um, I can see them. So, I mean, I don't necessarily know that they're going to go that direction on the show, but having Pied Piper be back and then actually kind of use his powers for good and whatnot um, kind of almost makes it seem like they, they could be heading in that direction, even though we're going to get a rebirth here in a couple of months and we have no idea what's going to happen at that point. See, I just kind of expect in the next episode we're going to be like, uh, so they're like, oh, man, cool, we fixed Hartley. And right. then uh, then the next episode, but there are also dragons and they eat people. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> Or urinate on them, as we'll yeah, talk about later. Something something along those lines. Like, I definitely thought that there was going to be some sort of negative. Like, there's got to be some sort of fallout from Barry going back and fucking with everything. And then Harrison Wells has to be like, I told you so. Also, if you're wondering why I keep doing this, it's because spiders are dicks. Yeah. My like, daughter has a spider bite like the size of a golf ball right now. Yeah, this one was like that yesterday. It's 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 toned down quite a bit, but it's really itchy today. Nice. Um so and then also Wells is like, hey, tachyons. It's tachyons. Yep. Um, which that seemed kind of like a really easy explanation and whatnot, but it is what it is. Um also the end was super easy too, because it was just like they get back, the time wraith is like, Nope, I'm still fucking with you. And like Cisco shoots it and it doesn't do anything to the thing at all, and it's all making Barry look all old and withered and whatnot. Uh-huh. And that's when we get introduced to the fact that Pied Piper's back because he's like, Oh yeah, it's just the Sonics, it had to be reversed. Boop. Done. Yeah, that like- was pretty neat. <laughs> I did like too for a second how they were like, uh like they played off the whole thing because Barry's solution was basically, Okay, uh I'll be back in a year. You guys figure this shit out while I'm gone. Right. And they show up and and he's like, Did you get anywhere with this? And so this was like, like, I thought we did. Yeah. But, and, and so that was kind of a fun way to introduce Hartley back into the, um, you know, main continuity. But and you get the impression that he's not there all the time. He really can't be because otherwise it would be like, um, you know, like we have to go back and re-edit the whole first season and be like, oh, you remember that one where Hartley showed up and he saved the day with us? You yeah. Know, like, yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk about the fucking big green elephant in the room. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, Felicity and friends, everybody. Dude, come on! Th- thou hast fallen so far. Um, so th- these have got to be, bar none, in my opinion, the two worst episodes ever. Um, notwithstanding the like little hiatus that they left us on, like that was also some of the worst television ever as well. Oh, you mean the Felicity can walk again, right. Jesus pose thing? Yeah, because yeah. she's a strong, powerful woman. Don't need no man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Once again, have no problem with femi- uh, feminism or anything like that, but I do have a problem with terrible writing. Here's the thing, man. I was a, I was Felicity's biggest fan. Uh, oh, she was totally awesome in the through, first couple of seasons. Throughout most of the yeah the first couple of seasons, um, especially when it came to like crossovers with the Flash and stuff, because her and and Grant Gustin had an amazing chemistry on screen and whatnot. Um, I just, yeah, and they just were better characters on the Flash universe, like we yeah, talked about before. Yeah, I just wish some of that would have translated into the show and. Fuck all. Why does fucking... Ugh. Why does everything have to be about Oliver being brokenhearted and the women that do it to him? Or the fact that he's a dick and people break up with him because he's kind of a, an ass clown? See, here's the thing. Um, the I don't know how this exactly happened, but I wasn't really kidding when I was saying this show is basically becoming Felicity and Friends. Yeah. Like... They're completely over, like, this whole thing is completely overshadowing all of the rest of the characters on the show. Um, To the point where it looks like they're going to kill off Black Canary. Which is dumb, because she's actually starting to become a viable character. 
Yeah, which she could have been a season and a half ago right. if we would have written her some decent fucking lines instead of, you know, making everything about uh, Felicity and Oliver getting together and all that bullshit. So, um, gosh, I can't even... Maybe it's because I'm blocking it from my brain, but I can't even remember what the episode before last was about. It was about shitty, shitty fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll find it real quick. Yeah. I, I do remember this last week's episode. That was, of course, the B episode, which I again just tantamount to. How did this even happen? This this is this is what really sticks in my craw. You take the absolute worst fucking villain from the first season of The Flash, and you inject that into the absolute fucking rock bottom period of this show. And I what do you expect? God, it was like they were trolling the audience at this point. It was like, we can see everybody on Twitter yelling at us. You know what we're going to do? We're going to fuck them even more. Like, here, have the bee lady again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is, what is wrong with you people? Um. So, yeah, absolutely the worst villain on The Flash. Um. It now comes to Arrow. For what reason? Who the fuck knows? Like, the, it's contrived. Uh, a lot of people actually, I, I saw, um, were calling this a an improvement from the episode prior to it. Oh, this is the episode before was the Cupid episode. Oh, the Cupid which episode. Which is immediately forgettable, which is why we forgot it. Okay, so the Cupid episode is dumb for all the reasons. It, see, this is another, like, what are you doing? The Cupid uh, introduction. <laughs> think, think back about 10 seconds when I said it was the Cupid episode and you rolled your eyes. You got it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, because we have a return of a villain that, uh, you know, completely and totally sucked the first time around. We need more of that. Yeah. And then they, like, twofer, we get the B-Lady the next episode, uh, another villain that completely and totally sucked the first time around. Yeah, and here's here's what's really shitty about that is, and, and I, I'm going to probably take some shit for this, too. Emily Kinney, who plays the B-Lady. I like. She's she's so, like, she's like, um, you put her in the same room as, like, uh, the girl who plays Kara on Supergirl and... Willa Holland and whatever. Overload. It's just like, like, yeah, there's an overload of cute there. Like, it might as well be the fucking Powerpuff Girls. They're so cute, right? Yeah, precisely. And this role is such shit for her. Like, she's not Beth at all from The Walking Dead, which is what I'm used to seeing her as. Like, See, I don't mind that because, you know, like, acting, thank uh, you. Yeah, it's not the same character, but, but I mean... Uh, I, I do mind it because it's a shitty character. Well, I mind it because she's coming off this... This show of being on The Walking Dead, which she was on for several seasons. And, you know, people can say what they want about, oh, fuck Beth. I didn't like her in the beginning and whatnot. But you know what? As soon as she fucking died, like, the internet revolted. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Biggest turnaround ever. Right. Like, it, the, they, I think three episodes before Beth died, everybody was like, oh, man, Beth. I'm so worried about Beth. You know? Right. Like, you hated Beth, like, ten minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. I just hate the fact that she went from a show that was that like it's so well done that all of a sudden like she's taking like one off appearances on as a character that is not well done in any way, shape, or form. See, quite honestly, this is the only reason why I'm still watching Arrow because for a while there, The Walking Dead got really stupid, <laughs> like really stupid. <laughs> season three, beginning of season three, I think, definitely the low point in the series, in my opinion. It's been so long ago; I don't remember. Yeah, it was sort of the the boringest part of the governor arc. Okay, okay. Yeah. When so, they started doing the weird, like... Um, God, it was actually the episode that introduced Tara, but, like, where he just goes and lives in the camp 
with those other people and whatnot? Like, is that right around where you're talking about? Uh, no, it's it, probably a little bit before. Maybe it was right before. Lord, maybe it's season. God, I don't fucking remember. No, because I think that's in season four. Is that? I think season three is basically like all Woodbury all the time, and there's not really anything going on, and it's just useless drama from pretty much everybody. Plus, Andre's character really sucked. Yeah, it honestly brought down that show a couple of 10 or 20 points for me. Yeah. So, um. Anyhow, okay. So, we'll, we'll get to The Walking Dead later, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arrow, uh, just, just God, why? Like, the Cupid episode, it was stupid again for all the reasons it was stupid the first time, except for you got to, you know, put the shit sprinkles on top of a shit mountain with more elicity flip, flipping, like, uh, oh, you know, you know what contrived reason we have to use to save Cupid? We have to get that marriage that we were going to get if we didn't just break up five minutes ago. Right. So Ollie's going to pour his heart out only for Felicity to be a stupid bitch about it again. Right. I, I really it, expected like, it, so this is what I expected because Felicity's like, I need you to cancel the venue. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll get around to it. Yeah. And then like, all of a sudden she's like, oh, you didn't cancel it? And he was like, yeah, I was busy. Like, it was almost like, um, it got almost as bad as like when uh, Ross used to have to say, we were on a break. Yeah, yeah. Like that, come like that on, sort of guys. Thing. So the thing that was even dumber about this, like the thing that makes this whole arc even dumber, like when I say Felicity is being a stupid bitch in this episode, it's not simply because like I'm not doing the whole like it's the girl's fault and she's the problem. Like, except for this case, it is the girl's part uh it is the girl's fault, and she is the problem. Like, this whole scenario happened. The only reason that Oliver and Felicity aren't living somewhere happily off in the suburbs right now is because Felicity kept helping out the team, and Felicity insisted they go back, in spite of Oliver saying, uh, I don't know, I don't think that's a good idea, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now we're back, and it was a totally fucking bad idea, as it turns out. And, uh, you know, it's basically entirely Felicity's fault, and she's still being a stupid bitch about it. Well, and here's here's the other problem that I have. We've already been through this once before in the crossover episode because yep, she found out about William and got all pissed off and broke up with him. And then Barry went back in time and was like, hey, you know what you should do? You should probably tell your fucking girlfriend you have a kid. Yeah, which in, in fairness to Felicity and her stupid shit, um, this was pretty goddamn dumb of, of Barry. Like just really stupid. <laughs> or uh, not Barry. Uh, Ollie. Ollie, yeah. So yeah, so then Oliver decides to not do it. Um, and then lo and behold, now she finds out and breaks up with him, which here's the thing. If you're not going to play that differently, other than the fact that half the team died, why do you even do that? Why do you even go back in time and change that shit? Like if you're, you you have all the opportunity in the world to do something different than what you already have shown is going to happen. And then you just don't do it again. I think this kind of speaks to the quality of the writing. Like they, they, I mean, I don't know. It, it, that that whole arc is just kind of dumb to me too because it's like, well, you know, I know we have been dating for quite a while now, but it, he is my son, and I know it's his crazy bitch mom, but you know, uh, there's not really. A, I'm kind of in a between a rock and a hard place, you know. I'm gonna draw a parallel between this and, and professional wrestling for a minute because I can. Uh, sure. They also wear tights, so I I'm on board. In the 70s and 80s, 80s especially, um, pro wrestlers were really character-driven, like almost to a comic book or cartoonish type. Like there was uh, um, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, you know what I mean? Things like <laughs> yeah. that. One of the things that set the Attitude Era apart from that is they dropped the comic book gimmicks. I mean, minus Undertaker, because he still was Undertaker for a while and Kane and whatnot. But like for the most part, they dropped the gimmicks. And when they came out on, on on in the ring and they started cutting promos, they were more believable. 
specifically because they didn't say, I'm going to tear your lungs out and step on them. And it made the audience actually want to pay attention because, number one, as an audience, we know that they're not really going to get their lungs torn out and stepped on. So when they actually just came out and said real shit, it made sense. And that was when they had actually people that were like, you know what? We're not going to script everything, but why don't you guys just go out there and like... That Be whole, real. That whole era was the beginning of a very meta era, um, which I think we're still kind of in uh, with with wrestling, which is, you know, f- for the longest time. Like, I remember watching wrestling as a kid when I was like six or something. Right. And, and people were like, why do you watch that? It's all fake. And, you know, that was sort of the joke about wrestling is that it's all fake and, you know, that whole thing. And right around the Attitude Era, they sort of embraced that a little bit. Like, it wasn't quite on the nose. So very meta, like acting within the acting thing, you know. Um, so anyway, I mean, getting back to Arrow, like my point, my point with that parallel was write dialogue that actually fucking makes sense. Like, yeah, don't tell me that something's going to happen that I know can never happen. Tell me something's going to happen. That's plausible. See, like, this is the exact opposite of the flash. Like where I'm saying, like they, they, you can see the trope coming from a mile away and then they just kind of step around it and go somewhere else with it. Arrow doesn't. Arrow just fucking force feeds you that trope. Like it just buries it in your mouth. Right. Like there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Like they, they, uh, uh, man. Here, here's the thing. Arrow writers find your inner CW and fucking smash that shit as far down as you can because right. it's not working. When, when you're sitting there and you're, you're watching like the vampire diaries or something like that. And you're like, dude, write this down. This, this needs to go in the green arrow show. Just punch yourself right in the nuts, please. Well, and here's the thing, man. Berlanti is kind of letting me down because I read an interview with him mid-season three mm-hmm. that talked about how, like, seasons one, two, and three um, are almost kind of going to be looked at as prequels after season four comes out because now we have the Green Arrow and it's going to be a completely different show. It's fucking not. Dude, I would have actually been <laughs> fine with that. Like, if they would have changed... They did. They did. In the beginning, it was... It did feel kind of different. And now it just feels like a, quite, kind of the same thing. Just the worst version of itself. So, here's here's my thing. And this is the way it's got to be for me if I'm going to if I'm gonna remain uh, a, a watcher of the show. Once the Damien Dark thing is over, once the season is done, they got to actually start doing some stuff that is a little bit more lighthearted. Like, they have to have super villains come in or you know something that actually like the team has to work together and they've got to actually start acting as individuals within the team see like the thing that bothers me about arrow right now is that i don't feel like at its core anymore it's a superhero show no uh and that was one of the things that was really good about the original or the first couple of seasons of arrow is that at its core it was still a superhero show um the other thing that's sort of markedly different is the first season of Arrow had, and the second season, mostly just with Amira Kuru, had some fantastical elements, but things that were sort of plausible. And most of the things that happened with Barry were sort of, or not Barry, fuck, did that twice now. Ollie. Most of the things that happened with Ollie and the Arrow were sort of um, somewhat rooted in reality. Like, um, and that, you know, fine, that's fine. And when we got off of that and kind of went to Nanda Parbat for the first time, um, you know, we started introducing more fantastical elements of the show, I think is a me- methodology to set up some other, you know, parts of the CW verse and so on, but which is fine. But we also at the same time sort of made this like a relationship drama sort of show, um, which is not really something that I'm, you know, that's not what I'm tuning in for. And that was also right around the time where 
there, there was just a lot of other flaws in the writing too. Like for example, that's right around the time that we decided that everybody is now a match for Ollie. Like we, we can see him, you know, just completely ace, uh, 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 Ra's al Ghul, best swordsman in the entire DC universe, you know, barring Batman. Um, but the next episode, Cupid. Fucking Cupid. Like, this is Cupid. Why is Cupid any sort of challenge whatsoever? Yeah. Here's... I'm, I'm going to go all comic booky for a minute. Um, Arrow, Green Arrow, was never really a team player. Like, it was not a team effort um, in that comic book, um, for the most part. Um, that He had Speedy. Yeah, but he didn't have like the Arrow Corps or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like there was not a big foundation or anything. Um, he operated very much like Batman. Like Batman had Robin, Green Arrow had Speedy, and that was kind of that was Arrow was the poor man's analog to Batman. And um, yeah, well, they both kind of grew out of that a little bit, I think, because um, there's some other you know sidekicks from the the, the Green Arrow. Um, once you get into the later continuities, and of course, Batman has like like the, 19 right. members of the bat family at this point yeah so. at, at this point he does but that's not i mean like the the what made green arrow green arrow was it was oliver queen being the green arrow totally. and the book didn't sell well in the 70s neither did green lantern but you know what when they actually put them together and it was green lantern with green arrow all of a sudden that book started selling like faster than they could print them and whatnot so i guess what i'm saying is you've dropped hints since like season two you need to bring in green lantern just i don't fuck the rest of the team just bring in hell jordan <laughs> up your special effects budget a little bit and give us like a buddy cop show like at this point i don't even care what contrivance they use to get rid of the current bullshit that they're dealing with like i i'd be fine if you just woke up and said oh man that was the worst dream ever i know you like you, he just i think you tweeted that like yeah. that was like if, if if we just like he woke up right after finishing off Slade, Slade and he was like oh man I guess I shouldn't ask Felicity out you know that better yet of- he didn't even finish off Slade have him wake up before that because I like Slade Wilson oh yeah Slade's awesome and and then that they <laughs> they sort of really misused him so far too like just you know, we'll just stick him on an island I would really like to see Slade Wilson come back not as a not as a, a bad guy and you can't do it now because of all the bad shit he did in season two and whatnot but like. Yeah. If they had used used him properly and like he came back and he was just like a mercenary and that's the only reason him and Ollie are at odds is because he doesn't care what means he uses to to get to the end. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of character Slade Wilson should have been in the first place because he's that's what he is. He's a mercenary. I'm fine with how they used Slade um, before. I would kind of like to see, like, I would, I wouldn't have mind if they would have continued with that arc, and now we get to see Slade come back as sort of the traditional mercenary that Slade has been in the comics, and that is how we run into Oliver, uh, um, and how they they set that up. That would be fine. Um, but I don't know. As it is, the show is just so all over the board with you know just stupid bullshit all the time that I have no hope for anything positive happening in the near future. Yeah. And this is, we opened the show on a depressing note by talking about Gary Shandling uh, being dead and everything, but this is almost more depressing. Sorry, Gary. For me, it definitely is. Like, <laughs> like thank you for your contributions, Mr. Shandling, but uh, I don't know of your work, like I said. So anyway, uh, Ariel, just fucking stop. Just stop what you're doing. Sit down. Really rethink your life. Come back. Write, write a better show. We know you could do it. You've done it before. Yeah. Just do it again. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, let's talk about Batman. Lego Batman? Yeah, let's get Lego Batman out of the way. Just because there's a, once we hit the other thing, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, So, trailer dropped this this last week, which um has to do with Batman. Although it's not 
not Ben Affleck Batman, but um, Will Arnett Batman. Yeah. So if you saw the Lego movie, which if you didn't, uh, you should. It's you pretty should. Come on. Everything but, is awesome. I'm a grown man, but it's it's a good movie. It's everything good movie. is awesome. Yeah. And Batman in that movie is amazing. Hilarious. Yeah. I love it. So uh, like at the end he, of the trailer, it's like pew, 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 pew. He Got actually shot. <laughs> he actually gets a cameo in uh, Lego Dimensions, the game. Yeah. Uh, because the Lego Batman figure is not the Will Arnett Lego Batman, and so they kind of get into a scuffle at the beginning of the thing, and it was it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> so um, go watch the trailer for the Lego Batman movie. Um, I'm totally gonna see this movie. Like, the, I'll probably take the kids to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's I was so my my ex wife usually takes the kids to see like the cheesy cheeseball kids movies and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I always take them to see the superhero movies, and I'm like, so how's this gonna work? Because <laughs> I guess we're doing this shit as a family. Whatever. No, I'm um, not. I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not going with. I'm not going with the ex-wife. Um, but uh, oh, sorry. I was thinking the, the wife. Wife. No, no. The ex-wife usually takes my older kids to see the cheesy kids movies, and I always take them to see the, the fun superhero movies. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I just don't tell her. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> we're gonna let the kids see it twice. It'll be fine. Um. So yeah. Uh, Enough said about that, really, because, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a trailer, it is what it is, and it doesn't really give us a clue as to the plot yet, but uh, who cares? It's yeah. fun. Um, Next up, and I'm going to intentionally skip over one in the show notes because it goes better with the next thing. Um, Matt, you know, because we talked about this earlier, uh, the Supergirl TV show is kind of rehashing a lot of Superman right. plots. So Matt's put in a bunch of must-read Supergirl stories for us to take a look at. Um, this is from the website comicbooked.com. That's booked. Um, and there's, you know, 10 different stories that you got to check out if you want to get to know Supergirl a little bit better. And maybe see something more original from her character. Yeah. So here's the thing. One of the must-read Super Supergirl stories is the origin, um, and we kind of saw that in the first episode, and whatnot. So that yeah. that's done. I'm not going to go into every single one of these, but the problem is, is Supergirl stories that actually mean anything. It turns out you actually have to be really familiar with comic books in order for them to work. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's why we're getting a whole bunch of recycled Superman stories is because there isn't actually any Supergirl stories that you can do um, from the comics that you you can do easily. Like you can't do a lot of the Supergirl stories without already knowing the backstory of 10 other different comic book characters that we may never see on TV. And that would take four or five seasons to even build up to that point. Um, so what I'm hoping is that maybe in four or five seasons of the show is still going on, like they do actually start to to do some of the the classic Supergirl stories and whatnot. Um, here's one about uh, Supergirl on Krypton, which was inspired from the Man of Steel movie. Um, it even has one of the neat little dragons that Jor-El rides around on um, in it. Can't really do that in the, in the TV show because that's obviously Man of Steel shit. Yeah. And they're they're keeping do, do they, separate. Do they hook braids together? In that? <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah. That would It comes out of it comes out of Jarrell's beard and he just yeah. <laughs> right in there. Yeah. Um so you know one of the things that, that's interesting to me that I'm kinda surprised they haven't done a little bit more of is that one of the things that was always different, I think, between Supergirl and Kal El. Um Supergirl's much less refined. Yeah. And I, I think in some continuities, Supergirl's actually the stronger of the two. Yeah. And, and like two, um, 
and it's sort of like a point for them, you know, like Superman's always like, yeah, you're stronger, but you know, sort of like the, the, the master to the apprentice sort of like, you need to control your strength and do this and that and so on. Well, and here's the other thing too, is a lot of the good Supergirl stories that I read when I was uh, a teenager and whatnot, um, they can't do it all because the characters aren't even the same character. Um, yeah. Because post-crisis, up until I think the early 2000s, Supergirl was actually a shape-shifting alien, not Kryptonian and whatnot. That actually kind of reminds me of the Master Race, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, like I said, I'm not going to go into all the stories and stuff like that, but there is definitely an article posted and um, it kind of lends credence to why they keep recycling Superman stories on Supergirl is because a lot of these stories you really just can't do without a whole lot of backstory involved um then i mean you especially for the, for the first season of a show you just can't do it yeah and if you're a comic book nerd then you might find something cool to read in there um which i'm sure i have I, did, I forgot to actually go through this article but it was one of my you know one of those things i really want to do because i do want to read some of the more interesting supergirl stories right all right so let's talk about batman and superman um so we got a link in here from uh um rotten tomatoes it's all of the batman and superman movies ranked by uh um, rotten tomatoes essentially you know their rotten tomato scores uh this would be like all of the screen adaptations that we've seen of the characters batman and superman so this would include fantastic pieces like batman and robin these these we will do we'll we'll go through the list uh in order of, of worst to best um so again as i said batman and robin um at 11 percent yeah tomato score it's weird it's a classic i don't know if i'd have gone that high <laughs> yeah <laughs> um freeze yeah um i'd never leave the cave without it you know like that's yeah. where they should have stopped coming in at uh, 12 12 superman for the quest for peace also being a little generous um but honestly i can't say that i remember that movie well enough to dude i gotta care. say quest for peace might have almost been worse than batman and robin but i don't know is Quest for Peace the one where they get Richard Pryor to do the whole money laundering thing? Nope, or is that, that's, that's Superman, that's Superman 3? 3 at 26%. Superman 3. You know, I actually did like one aspect of Superman 3, and that was the whole bizarro Superman thing. The Well, the angry yeah. Superman, yeah, that they that they paid homage to in Supergirl this last week, yeah. or the two weeks ago, yeah. Um, I don't think it was Red K, was it? It was, I think... It was a type of kryptonite that they tried to manufacture, I think, and it didn't. Right. So they were kind of bastardizing Red K for the movie. Which which leads to dirty Superman fighting clean Superman yeah. for supremacy yeah. in the junkyard. You know what's funny about this, too? Like, in retrospect, dirty Superman is basically wearing Man of Steel colors. Yeah. 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 It, it, uh, hell, the blue might even be a little bit brighter. Um, So that's a 26%. Um. Obviously, we know that Batman versus Superman now has a 29% tomato score, so that would put it in between um, uh, Superman 3 and Batman Forever. And here's going to be my problem. You can't say that Batman Forever is a better movie than Batman versus Superman. Not on any planet. I I just I don't see it. Maybe Earth 3, where the bad guys are good guys and the good guys are bad guys. Maybe. But like, is that Earth 3? I think. I, I can see why some people were harsh on this movie. Uh, but you know what I think the big part of this is? I think people are feeling like they got Phantom Menace a little bit. Like like they, the, the hype was so big, the buildup was so much, that they're being overly critical because it wasn't a blowout, masterful movie. Yeah, and the other thing too is there's apparently um, a scene that I hope appears in the director's cut 
Um, there's a scene on the ship between Lex and um, a relative of Darkseid. I think it's his nephew or something like that. that the thing was, that I the, the communion clip. Yeah, it was cut completely from the movie, but directly explains and Lex's I, behavior at the end of the movie. And I totally, totally forgot to put that in the show notes, but I was gonna. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, the editing choices in this movie were interesting to say the least. So. The editing choices were terrible. This movie, like, one of its major flaws, like, from a filmmaking perspective, is editing. Yeah, and 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 uh, marketing. Marketing was the other big one. Yeah. Um, which we talked about in at great length in our, in our Man of Steel, or, or Batman e- Superman round Editing, table. marketing, and, and probably pacing would round out my top three reasons why this isn't a great movie. Yeah. But but it, it is still, like, is it is it worse than Batman Forever? No. No. Absolutely not. Definitely and not. You know what? For the most part, we all still liked it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess I, I like Batman Forever as well. Um, but yeah. Um, so moving on, though, we have uh, Man of Steel at 56%. The fact that Man of Steel got a higher tomato rating than Batman versus Superman does bother me quite a bit. See, this one doesn't bother me as much because, um, first off, I like Man of Steel probably a little bit more than 56%. But I just think from a movie-making standpoint, like, it's just a more solid movie. Turns out Dirty Superman from Superman 3 is actually still in brighter colors than, than Man of Steel. Oh, for sure he is. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah. um, then there's a huge jump. So it goes from 56% for Man of Steel up to 72% for Batman from 1990 or 1989. You know, if nothing else, nostalgia would put that higher for me. Uh, yeah, probably. The, the, thing that I, the other thing that I really liked about Batman 1989 is the setting. Like the setting in the the city is as much a character in that movie as anybody else's, and uh, it's just phenomenally well done. Like th- this is probably like whatever you want to say about Tim Burton, I- I'd put this up here there as his like masterful or like his thesis essentially. Okay, here's what really bothers yeah, me. Yeah, this I don't fucking get at all. Superman Returns from 2006 with Brandon Routh, and please, I love Brandon Routh. The dude, the it, dude's awesome. He was actually phenomenal, if not a little bit derivative, in this movie. Like for an unknown, completely you know, fresh face actor, I really like Brandon Routh as Superman. The problem is that this movie sucked dick. It was kind of bad. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Like I, I still like the movie okay, but there are some parts of it that are just terrible. Dude, here's the thing: this movie was almost three hours long, and like the middle forty five minutes were good. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Um. And again, no fault of Brandon Ralph for that. That's uh, poor editing, poor writing. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But um, no way is it 76% versus... Kryptonite Island is, is sort of the like, I can't fucking even yeah. deal. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? Um, so yeah, that's 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 terrible. And I don't know why it's ranked so high um, as compared to some of the other ones. Even Batman Forever. Like, this movie is not better than Batman Forever. It's not. I, I don't think I would say it is. Um, but again, I think I'm giving some nostalgia points to Batman Forever. That movie came out when I was like 11 or 12. Plus the I, Seal soundtrack. I mean, uh, yeah. It's there's so much a man can tell you, so much he can say. Love remain. Oh, that was actually good. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. No. Uh, right. um, um, coming at 80 percent, Batman the movie from 1966. See. And this this sounds crazy at first, but then I, when I realized that b- people are basically saying like, "Oh no, it's just it's a campy movie. It's a completely different thing." Quickly, Robin, to the bat pole. 
also very good. <laughs> okay, so which one of us is the talented one? Oh, that's solved. Nah, not me. Yeah. Um, Everything I know about Adam West, uh, I learned from Ralph Garman. That, so. that was a very good <laughs> Ralph Garman impression of Adam West. Yeah. Um, 80% again, uh, we have Batman Returns. So Batman Returns with Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman, the movie from 1966, apparently equally good according to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Um, this movie I talk shit about a lot because I think it, it was the beginning of the end for superhero movies when it came to piling villain on top of villain. See, you know what I think is um, with this? I actually really like this movie and I will defend it. It, it, it is a good movie. What I think fucked the things up is they were like, you know what? Batman had one villain. Batman Returns had two villains. Batman Returns was an even bigger deal. We need to put two villains in everything. That's my point. Yeah. Uh, they they did a good job here, especially because they, they really played the Selena Kyle, Bruce Wayne, even though Keaton's not really a great Bruce Wayne. Um, they played that dynamic really well, and they also played the dynamic of Michelle Pfeiffer kind of towing the line um, or walking the fine line between villain and hero and whatnot. Like she wasn't necessarily a good guy. I don't did she she did kill somebody in it, um, but that's also kind of been the thing with Selena Kyle is. Uh, well, she killed fucking Max Shrek, didn't she? Like that was the only one she killed, I think. Yeah, she did blow up a convenience store too. Right. Yeah, but um, I don't think anybody died. I don't, did they, I don't know did that Catwoman ever killed died? anybody in the um, uh, in in the comic continuity. But also, come on, when's the last I, time I we got a comic movie that would like was panel for panel? Yeah, and this one I don't books. care about either too, because the way that they set up the story, it totally made sense for her to kill Max Shrek. Plus, it was sort of like people getting all you know pissy about um, uh, Superman killing Zod and Man of Steel. Like, it's like, what else were they supposed to do? Like, they set it up like this is it's a different take on the character, but it's not a bad one. And the character is still completely valid. So whatever. Plus Michelle Pfeiffer in that vinyl suit. Uh, super still fucking hot. Teenage me. Yeah. That was when I was like, yep, I'm for sure hetero. You're like, yeah, you're like, I'm going to go masturbate for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> and I just became a man. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, This was interesting that I because I, I didn't even know that this was going to be on the list. 81%. We have Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which was an animated film. I'm actually kind of surprised that they put this on the list because it sort of opens the continuity to, or like this list should be about, I don't know, say 40 pages longer. Uh, it doesn't, and I'll tell you why. Batman Mask of the Phantasm was actually released theatrically. Oh, really? It was. Okay, then I'm back on board. Um, wasn't expecting it because I'd totally forgotten that, but it, it definitely was. Um, and it was uh, not only, it, it did well, I think, for an animated movie, Uh in the theaters, but then it did super good sales when it came to home video. You know what? I just legit watched this movie for the first time in like the last six months or so. Uh huh. I was extremely impressed by how well it it holds up. Like, in fact, I, I shouldn't even qualify it. It's just a good movie. Yeah, it's 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 well done. Yeah. Um. Batman Begins at eighty five percent. That's probably fair. Oh yeah, Batman Begins is really good. Yeah. Uh, Dark Knight Rises at eighty seven percent. I nope. would have put that below. In fact, I would have put nope. that below probably Batman Returns for sure. Yeah, it would have been it would have been in the I don't maybe know. right between Batman sixty six and Batman Returns. <laughs> it, it would have definitely fallen under Returns for me. Yeah, um, yeah, we've talked about that before. Superman two at eighty nine percent. This is the first time we saw Zod theatrically. Totally. No, it wasn't because we saw him get banished. I think in, in the first Superman. Did we see that in the first Superman? Very briefly, yeah. Because the first Superman opens, I think, on Krypton with the whole banishing. 
I think this one loses 10% for me just because of the pit stains. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, oh, let me see if I can look that up real quick. Anyway, uh, I I don't know. I really love Superman 2. I really do think that this is like the Christopher Reeves. Like, this is the two, the Dark Knight uh, um, of that series. Like, it, it just completely overshadows the whole rest of it. And, and, you know, it doesn't help that Superman 3 is abysmal and Superman 4 is, is just absolute dog shit, but... Um, now we have to find pit stain Superman. See, I just like cellophane Superman. Oh, nice. Yeah, big old pit stains. Bummer. I mean, what so, are you gonna do? It's so here's the thing, though, and and this is uh, this has been talked about on the internet before, because well, it's the internet, and we talk about everything on the internet. But yep, pretty much. Um, I can actually explain this. Go on. <laughs> Superman was in his costume, but did not have his powers, like. Oh, that's just legit. Yeah. So he would have he would have sweated. Yeah. He would have been just a normal human. Right. It Superman. was only because he tricked Zod into hitting the button and, and transferring his powers back to him in the Fortress of Solitude where they're at right there that that happened. But that doesn't mean his pit stains would have gone away immediately. So yeah. that's that, yeah. I'm saying I'm saying that was artistically done for a reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Not <laughs> not just in editing or costume choice error at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's move on. Move on. <laughs> Uh, Superman from 1978, 93%. I, I definitely would have gone with Superman 2 first. Superman 1 does not hold up as well as Superman 2, I don't think. I don't think any of them hold up really well because of the... I mean, we just didn't have great effects back then. The stories themselves are good. Um, but this was another one that for 1978, this movie was really long. And if you ever got the director's cut afterward, even longer. It was really long. Um there's a lot of things where I could actually see why people would put this a little bit higher than Superman 2. First off, this is the first time you get the Superman score. Uh, John Williams, the John Williams score, uh, just amazing. Like it's it's still it still holds up. I wouldn't I would have nothing bad to say if the next Superman movie opens with the John Williams score. Go for it. We can even have like the 20 minute long title sequence that we did in Superman the first. Speaking of John Williams mm-hmm. in Salem in May on the 8th, the Oregon Symphony is doing John Williams music from Star Wars, um, Indiana Jones, and uh, I forget what the other, what the other, uh, obviously. Uh, I'm I'm there. Sign up. Let's do it. 35 bucks a pop. Uh, we can, we'll figure it out. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, yeah. You want to go to Bob Dylan? I don't know. I don't really know Bob Dylan, but. And he's playing in June at the Cuthbert and Eugene. Casey and I bought tickets today. Really? Yeah, it's like 35 for lawn seats. Really? Yeah, 35, 45, I don't remember. That is amazing. Like, you would think Bob Dylan would be, like, one of those, like, sellout stadium sort of artists that, you know, charges him. Like, not necessarily the type that would be those, but you'd think just sheerly from fame and notoriety levels. Yeah. You just couldn't get seats to shit for nothing. Yeah, no, I totally want to go because he's been so influential on everything else. And Casey bought tickets today, but she bought GA lawn tickets. So if you guys want to go, you should pick them up. Dude, yeah. Remind me about that after the show. Yeah. Um, all right, 94%, The Dark Knight. And this is the top of the list. The, this is no surprise to me at all. And this is actually probably the least controversial pick for me. Yeah. I, I got no problem having that one sit up on top of everything. Um, yeah. They're, they're just the, the Dark Knight is not quite flawless, but pretty damn close. Talk to me after the standalone Ben Affleck Batman, then, then we'll see. Dude, uh... I really okay. So let's move on to our next story. Then. Uh, you like that segue? Yeah, that on. was brilliant. Um, <laughs> ben Affleck. Uh, we had a 
uh, rumor in there that that uh, where Ben Affleck was basically talking and and you know working all, on a quote unquote project. Yeah, practic- practically confirming he's he's writing a solo Batman film. And then like ten seconds later, there was another article that came out with that was Jeff like, Johns. Yeah, yeah, that was actually why I put that on there because Jeff Johns and Affleck writing a Superman or writing a Batman movie and the possibility that Ben's going to direct. I mean, just yeah yeah whatever you can say about batman versus superman i'm I'm actually glad that it's not gonna be down on batman i'm glad you left that link in there because there's the video actually if you watch the um and this this looks like it was probably um one of those junket things where they just sat down for five minutes at a time and and did a whole bunch of interviews and whatnot um but when it gets, I mean, they're all good actually. If you if you watch those, like it's it's kind of a cool little video that they put together uh-huh. of a lot of the different actors and stuff. But the Affleck interview is hilarious because number one, he's the only one that actually swears at all during it. <laughs> but he's talking about Jeff Johns, and he was like, he was like, yeah, I keep telling Jeff about all these different comic book stories that I that I read that I really liked, and he's like, oh yeah, I wrote that. And yeah. he's like, now it's to the point where I just think he's bullshitting me because he can't have written that much. But guess what? He really has. Yeah, he did. His his uh, Wikipedia page is like six miles long. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive. Um. So anyway, it, it, as it turns out, we get the next link, which is uh, you know, scratch that because Ben actually has written his Batman script. Um, you know, consulting Jeff Johns the whole time, and yeah, just goddamn. Now, like, please make this happen. Here's a, yeah, this this should not be construed for this is happening because this is actually not in uh production at all right now. Um, the studio hasn't signed on for it or anything like that. And Ben is very specific in the article where he talks about how um, he does not focus on another movie while he's doing one. And he's currently working on a different project, non-comic book related right now. Um, so we may not actually hear more about this until that's wrapped. Um, obviously, Warner Brothers has the script at this point, I would assume. And they're probably going to take a look at it and see if that's something they want to move forward with and whatnot. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of they get done with that with whatever uh, uh, Ben's working on. And then they probably do the justice league movie and, and everything else. Um, also, we do get to see him again as Batman very soon because he's, um, he's got a, a small role in uh, ju- uh, suicide squad as well. Yeah. Um, which I just, the places this movie could go like the, the, we've already got a decent setup to the whole death in the family um, storyline. Yeah. We've got a, a very, I mean, well, not really. Yeah, no. A small possibility towards the killing joke. Yeah. Suicide Squad, actually, I think, is probably going to give us a little bit of inside information on maybe where they're planning on going with the Batman character and possibly explaining some of the things that we saw in Batman versus Superman. Yeah. the the One of the prevailing theories at this point is that the Joker that we see in Suicide Squad is not actually the Joker that we're used to seeing. It's actually another character. Uh, yeah, there's no reason not to spoil this. If you have even are a little bit familiar with any of the Batman, the major Batman storylines, you know that at one point Joker killed Jason Todd, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Robin. Um, so after the Dick second Grayson, Robin. after, yeah, uh, we had Jason Todd and uh, the Joker killed him. Uh, we talked about it on the show like many times. So, you know, go back and read anything related to Batman and you'll find this out pretty quick. This is, this is important for a couple of reasons because number one, there's been four Robins. Uh, there's Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, and now we're on Damian Wayne. Yep. Um, all of these Robins have been like sons to Bruce Wayne um, in one way or another. Um, Damian yep. Wayne actually being his son. Um, but Jason Todd's the only one that actually died, and it wrecked Bruce for a long time when that happened. Um, 
and then obviously Jason Todd is back. He's not actually dead now in the comic book continuity, but we have no idea what the reference was that we saw in uh, Donna Justice with the Robin costume. Yeah. So one of the prevailing theories is, of course, that is that was Jason Todd's costume that the Joker had killed him. Um, so now here's a couple of different directions we could go. Number one is that uh, Jason Todd is simply dead. Or, you know, some version of Robin is simply dead, killed by the Joker that we see, you know, Jared Leto's Joker. The other possible explanation is that uh, J- Jason Todd is not dead, just severely fucked up by the really, uh, the original Joker. Um, and then that's where I was thinking we might go the Killing Joke route, because the Killing Joke also happened as sort of a... Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that was after um, Jason Todd. Yes. Yeah, so also happened a little bit in response to the events uh, um, with the death in the family. Uh, so the, there's the small possibility that we're going to see Jared Leto's Joker actually being uh, Jason Todd, just severely damaged Jason Todd after the events of the Killing Joke, where the Joker's died. I'm kind of hoping they go that route. Um, and the reason it would be super, it would be a completely sort of original take on this, but not different enough that it would be. Um, I I would alienating. hate the choices they made with his look. A lot less if I knew that it wasn't actually the Joker, but a new version of the Joker, play, you know, Joker V2, so to speak. Yep. Um, the other reason that I would that I would actually like to see it go that route, too, is um, we kind of already have seen them do this now with another character in Lex Luthor. Um, Lex in Batman versus Superman is very quick to say my father was the Lex in LexCorp. So... He is kind of Lex Generation 2. Um, not that Generation 1 was necessarily a bad dude. We don't know what Lex Generation 1 was, uh, comparatively speaking. Um, but this kind of opens the door to us getting to play around with the character of the Joker a little bit and then having it not actually be the Joker. Um, so it doesn't kind of matter how bad they fuck it up because if it's not well received, it doesn't have to have been the original Joker. And if you want to bring him in at some point, you can. Yeah. The other route that we could definitely go or that would be kind of interesting to see is a a sort of under the red hood story. Um, So um, I don't think they would go that on the nose. We've already seen under the red hood, you know, at least the animated version. Um, But there's a lot of ways that they could take this idea. Um, Certainly I, I, that can't have just been a throwaway in the movie in in Batman versus Superman. Like that can't be something that they're never going to touch on again. So they've got to be doing something with that. Um, But yeah, there's so many good places this could go. And anyway, this back to this particular set of links here, Ben Affleck, amazing director. Um, Yeah. Definitely has chops as a writer. We've got we're consulting Jeff Johns with, with you know a proven track record of quality comic book stories, and then finally, um, Ben Affleck as Batman, uh, pretty much universally regarded as amazing. I've read some people talk shit on the internet, and and here's here's the thing. And if you're one of those guys that is hating on Ben Affleck right now uh, because of, of this of this flick. Uh, you fall firmly in the category of haters going to hate because yeah. there's no fucking wrong. reason. Yeah, there's no reason to hate on Ben Affleck for anything having to do with Batman versus Superman because he was fucking amazing in it. Yeah, Ben Affleck's character was amazing. You may find fault with some of the writing choices of this Batman. You, I think you might still be wrong because I could see, you know, like I, I've talked about this, I think, in the roundtable, but I do definitely think we're setting up an arc for this Batman. Yeah. Um, I do definitely think that having him be this brutal at this point is a con is a deliberate choice. And that is going to be part of the next, uh, story in the next movie. And Um, everybody out there that's fucking whining, Batman doesn't use guns, blah, blah, blah. Batman carried a fucking gun. 
back in the day, like in the original Batman comic <laughs> books, Detective Comics, he had a gun. Yeah. But see, the thing here is he doesn't use guns anyway. He uses gadgets still. He uses gadget or gun-shaped he, he kinda, gadgets. He kind of used some guns a little bit when he was disarming bad guys and whatnot. But he didn't. It's not like he picked up the weapon and shot him. He was just no, like, you know what, just you're were shooting. holding it. And he was like, I'm going to point you at your own guy now. Yeah, he's like, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Yeah. Like, basically like that. Like, I guess it sort of counts, but it, it is a, you know, like, it's not like he's carrying nines or something. And again, to my point that I made earlier, like, when's the last time we saw a comic book movie that was panel for panel out of the comic books we haven't seen one at this point ever like that's and that's fine at this point because they've got it well down. actually i'd argue watchmen with the exception of the, the, ending, of the ending yeah that's probably the closest that's, that's, to panel that, is, panel that you're gonna get on the screen and they left out like an entire story arc within the middle of that but are we talking about the black freighter yeah yeah <laughs> um can i talk about suicide squad for just a minute particularly yeah, but... margot robbie yeah uh, yes actually has nothing to do with suicide squad but i just read an interesting article about um Okay, it wasn't an article. It was clickbait. One yeah. of those, like, ten things you didn't know about <laughs> this movie say, or whatever. Is this an article or is this, like, how when I read Playboy, it's for the articles? Or yeah, no, this was, this was clickbait. This was one of those, it was ten things you didn't know about The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I read in there, and this may or may not be true, but it talked about how um, uh, uh, Scorsese actually offered to um, have Margot Robbie in a robe during her nude scenes. And she refused. Because she felt that if the character's only thing of value was her body, then, then she would have had it out there. Then, yeah, it was a poor choice for the character to to not wear the robe. So I'm just going to go ahead and say this. There needs to be more actresses like like Miss Robbie out there. That was <laughs> good choice. Good choice, Margot. Solid. She's dude. that woman is gorgeous. So she is. Um, I, I you know, I didn't see Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so. I, I guess now I have a scene to go look for on the internet. Later. <laughs> uh, but what I've seen from the trailers of this, like she seems to be a bright spot and not just cause she's hot. Like you're talking suicide squad now, right? Yeah. Suicide yeah. squad. She, she looks to be one of the bright spots, if not the bright spot on, in this movie. Like I'm looking super forward to on a serious her note, portrayal. Yeah. On a serious note, like if she was totally like, no, I'm going to be completely naked for these scenes because that's what would be true to the character. I kind of feel like she is taking that approach to Harley Quinn in terms of like, how she's portraying her because she's kind of batshit dude she's super is like and that's what i'm saying like i really love like what we've seen so far looks really good so at least from her character we'll see how the movie actually is all right so that's our dc news for this week we're gonna get a refill and we'll be back for marvel yeah all right so in marvel news this week we Um, have let's talk about shield first we have shield agents of shield (laughs) Um. The, okay, so here's the deal. We only have two topics under the Marvel banner to talk about. One of them is Agents of Shield. Uh, the other one's Daredevil, and we've only watched like three Agents of Shields, and like since they came back from their their mid season break. But yep. we've watched all of Daredevil, and that's probably gonna take a while. So all of it, yes. Um. Yeah. So Agents of Shield. Um. Actually, just watched the first three episodes. Um. This last week mm-hmm. from their mid season. I'm digging it a lot so far yeah so you saw the one kind of focusing on hunter and bobby that was that was the last one the full one i did start to watch this week's a little bit but i was it, I, I was super tired because uh, i've been working in my car most of the week um not me but my friends and i've been up yeah. later and whatnot so um i was pretty tired so i didn't get to finish that episode yet but the one before where um mockingbird and and uh hunter left that yeah, that was that was super depressing, but also really well done. Yeah, that's what I said. 
well mockingbird that um bobby yeah bobby mm-hmm. so bobby morse yeah that's the episode that sticks out in my mind so far as uh, hunter and bobby getting a uh, um, I call her Mockingbird get, because I'm familiar with her character in the comic books. Yeah, obviously I'm not. <laughs> uh, but getting getting uh, the disavowed, um, essentially. Yeah. They got James Bonded right out of that shit. That's what I associate that word with. Yeah, um, so that was a good episode. I also like the one with the, the snapback chick. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember what her name is. Like I can't either. The Colombian chick that um, right. just, she can, she can run uh only as far as she can in a breath she's got like super speed but she can only move as far as she can go in a heartbeat actually right. yeah is what it is um and then she snaps back into the whatever position she was in so first off really cool idea for a power set which and they didn't kill her yeah and they didn't that w- so i would really like to see her come back at some point and here's the thing comic books are really big into doing things like um teaching people how to meditate and slow down their heartbeat and all that kind of stuff so I would really like to see her kind of um, like if she teams up with Stick for a week or something. Yeah, that's exactly not not necessarily Stick, although they can because they're technically the same universe and whatnot. And but just, like because we're going to talk about it. But yeah, yeah, we will talk about that a lot. But I mean, just just somebody who can teach her how to do that and kind of thing. Because if you can move as fast as you can go or go as far as you can in a heartbeat, if you can slow that heartbeat down, bam, you yeah. got there's so there's possibilities with this, and I think it would be fun to explore. Um, we also learn a little bit more about Mac. So far this season? Yeah, we get a very Mac-centric episode. Um, I think it was the most recent one. Yeah. Uh, he's got a brother, and he doesn't. his brother doesn't really know what he does. Um, right. His brother thinks he sells insurance and whatnot. Yeah, which was kind of funny. Um, yeah, and I think it's kind of good that we're getting some character development of Mac, because at this point, he's been basically just scenery. And what they're doing right now... Um, Berlanti... Arrow writers take notice. They're kind of shifting the focus away from Daisy a little bit. A little, yeah. Um, and May. Because um, Daisy and May were, I think, kind of the two strongest characters that they had besides Coulson for a while. Oh, for sure. Like, th- this was, as much as I thought Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be primarily about Coulson, it really wasn't. For a long time, it was really kind of the Daisy show. Yeah. Uh, except for we called her Sky back then. But I think that was kind of important, too, to set up the you know, the whole Inhuman storyline, the way they, they used her to do that. And so that's not a problem. Um, and I don't feel like the show necessarily at any point in time was necessarily Daisy and Friends. No. Um, it just felt like she was a little bit more the, you know, like there. I don't know. She just felt like a main character to me. Like right. Coulson was a main character. Daisy was a main character. May, May might have been just barely on the second string. Um, but then you had other characters like Fitz and Ward and so on that were. Yeah, actually, what they did with Ward was amazing, too, because from the first season on, he didn't seem I mean, from at the beginning of the first season, he was just kind of one of the team. Yeah. And so for him to go from where he was then to now, he's kind of like the ultimate bad. Yeah, I actually his is probably one of my favorite arcs in all of TV because he started off as like just the most quintessentially boring character that you could imagine. Right. Uh, um. You know, he's, he, yeah, just, I, I'm so happy to see what they've done with him. As soon as they turned him, actually, he became a super interesting character for me. Here's the thing. If you guys have followed with us um, for any length of time, you know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not necessarily one of those shows that either one of us um, really liked all that much when it first came out. No, I, I slogged through it, actually. I'll give it I'll give it less than that. Like, I slogged through the first uh, 14 or 15 episodes. Yeah, um, and it's funny because now knowing where the characters end up, we almost could go back and watch it again with a new set of eyes and probably appreciate it a little bit more. 
I don't know that I'm going to, at least not right away. I definitely won't. I still don't think those are great episodes for other reasons, but um, it, it, it does make for a lot better show. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm interested because we're supposed to get an Inhumans movie, I think, in 2018? Somewhere in that neighborhood. So I'm, I'm really... 2019, but it's, some, yeah, next couple of years. It, they're, they're spending a lot of time on Inhumans um, with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so... I kind of think it would be really cool if we got to see some characters like Black Bolt and Medusa introduced on the TV show, and then we get to see the the actual Inhumans movie and stuff like that. I don't know that they'll do that, but I think it would be neat. <laughs> see, now this is the thing that I really want to happen. I really do want to see more crossovers. Like I think in the first um, season of S.H.I.E.L.D., we got to see a Nick Fury cameo. Yeah, in fact, I think he was in... Was he in two episodes? He might have been. Like, I want to see more of that. Like, I want to see more of those types of... Um, you know, like... The the show always feels like second class compared to the movies. Right. Um, and I want them to bridge that gap a little bit better. Yeah. Like, I, I understand there's budgetary concerns to be considered, and it's not like you're going to be able to get Robert Downey Jr. to come on your show for, like, 12 cents or whatever it is they can pay him compared to what he makes in an Iron Man movie. But... Um, like I, I do just want him to, uh, um, or I do, I do just want them to bridge that gap a little bit better than they're currently doing. Like they kind of use like Daredevil, you know, maintains basically being in the same universe by having a few Easter eggs here and there, essentially. Right. Um. Or you know, a couple of throwaway lines. Shield is more directly involved, especially starting with, um, uh, Captain America two, um, but it's still sort of a you know we like we only ever kind of see some fallout from that, so. Agent Carter probably is a better example of that because Agent Carter was directly involved with the Captain America movies and whatnot. And she's actually appeared in uh, a few movies because she was obviously quite a bit older in Captain America 2. But we saw a kind of middle-aged version of her in Ant-Man at the beginning um, at uh, PIM, PIM Industries or whatever it is when that movie opens up uh, along with Howard Stark and whatnot. So that's... I mean, that's kind of how they tie things in. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does kind of um, have a um, symbiotic relationship with Agent Carter, although I don't think we've seen that come to its full fruition yet. I, have you watched the second season of Carter yet? Not all of it. I think I'm on season or episode six or seven. Okay. It um, it starts to pick up from there, just FYI. All right. I'll check it out. Uh but we haven't actually seen the two of them point directly to it. One of the things about Agent Carter that I want to see, um, and hopefully we, its ratings this this season weren't very good, but I think they said we're getting season three anyway. Cool. Um, but one of the things I want to see is them actually start to move toward uh, Peggy forming Shield because we do know that that's what happens. Yeah, that's continuity in the the universe. Yeah. So, I, and I think probably we'll get better ratings too if we kind of start to move that direction and stuff. And it doesn't have to end. At, as soon as she forms it, they go. I mean, we could even see S.H.I.E.L.D. operate at its infancy for a little while, which I think would be awesome to yeah, see. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, this I anybody that's not been able to really get into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. before, um, just kind of stick with it because the end of Season 2 gets pretty good, and then Season 3 is, I mean, it's, it's thumping along at a pretty, pretty good clip now. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's talk about um, the big red elephant in the room. The big blind elephant? Yeah, the big blind red elephant. <laughs> um, gosh, that just sounds like a recipe for destruction. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil. Daredevil. Daredevil season two. Um, the, the, oh, man. I don't. I, we're going to probably end up 
spending the next three hours talking about Daredevil because uh, we watched basically the whole season, and I think we talked about it maybe once on the show for maybe the first couple of episodes. Uh, yeah, we talked about the first few episodes because at the time, actually, no, we only talked about the first episode because you had only seen one episode by the time we we sat down. Yeah, last that time. was like the 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 Saturday it launched, um, right after you know Friday Friday when it came out. So this, this was the first uh, the first time that I've ever actually been ahead of Eddie on one of these shows and don't, then don't worry i had that fixed by like sunday morning. yeah he did he did finish it before i did but at the time of of our last discussion of this i had seen like five episodes and he saw or seen one um and it's funny because i actually wouldn't let him go home um after the show i made him sit down and finish the second episode before he left which was really cool um so this is going to be all over the place because there's so much awesome in daredevil and the one thing that is a little bit um you know th- this is sort of the quasi downside of the netflix business model I right. think the same thing was like this for uh, the first season, too. Um, if you went back to listen to all the way to episode one, we talked actually in anticipation of Daredevil, I believe. Um, at that point, we hadn't really seen a lot except for maybe a couple of trailers. No. And then... we Our first episode was about Daredevil. Oh, really? Was yeah. it? Almost entirely. Okay. <laughs> Did we didn't we have a lot to talk about. I don't think yeah. we watched this. We hadn't final. seen all of it yet. Because yeah. I remember like it was only like a few months ago that I was like, hey, I never finished that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, but we did we did talk about the first few episodes quite a bit. So yeah, this is this is the one downside of the Netflix business model. Obviously, with Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and stuff like that, we're stuck watching them at network TV pace, which gives us plenty of time to digest and talk about them on the show. Right. Uh, Daredevil, though, uh, man, we're just like we barrel through it. Like I finished it in the first weekend. Yeah. And Matt, I don't think took a whole lot longer. No, so. I think I was finished the day after you. Yeah. So. Um, it's kind of hard to uh, talk about those all, you know, one episode at a time. Maybe next time, maybe season three, we might have to go. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. I bought though. a notebook. Maybe I'll take notes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this season of Daredevil, I, I guess I'll start off by saying, like, I think it's better. I think it's better yeah. than season one. No, which uh, season completely. One, season one, guys, season one of Daredevil, probably one of my favorite uh, episode or seasons of TV ever. Here, here's the thing. I was worried about going into season two of Daredevil because I hadn't finished Jessica Jones yet. Um, but I also wasn't going to go finish Jessica Jones before I watched Daredevil season two because I was so excited about um, getting to see Frank Castle and the Punisher and whatnot. Um, so I can tell you right now, if you have not watched Jessica Jones, it's not going to ruin things for you um, really at all. There's a couple things that you'll miss. Um, there's really like two things that you'll miss. You'll be fine. Right. Um, so there's uh, an interaction between... Um, uh, the night nurse. Yep. And foggy where she talks about events that happened in Jessica Jones. Yep. Just briefly. It, but it, it is, it is very much in the nature of a nod at something else. Like it's sort of like the way that they nod at, you know, the events um, from, you know, which is essentially the Avengers movie that they're hinting at. But right. And if I can fault the season of daredevil at all, it's, it's not got enough Rosario Dawson. That is a fair criticism actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that i mean that's the only thing i could really fault it for um and then the other the other thing um that was a nod to jessica jones too was that uh carry on moss has a um extremely brief cameo um when she's talking to foggy about a potential job offer for foggy yeah which we'll get into as we go further but um so we kind of opened the season with foggy still not really digging matt being daredevil but also at the same time he's just like kind of like well you're gonna you're gonna do what you're gonna do but 
the first couple of episode foggy is kind of like alfred to to you know batman yeah like sort of like oh well i wonder where you got those bruises from you know yeah probably being a jackass you know that sort of thing like that wouldn't like, be because you're blind and fighting crime yeah definitely yeah. not that um so we we get this sort of there is a little bit of relationship tension between matt and foggy um we also get some relationship sexual tension between um matt and uh uh god i can't remember her character's name page karen page Mm, Sarah Page is it Karen I think it's Karen Karen Page yeah I'm pretty sure it's Karen it's Karen um like I just keep thinking of her True Blood's character name which it, I'm now completely blanking on yeah whatever so you're not thinking of it that hard then no no um yeah so we 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 kind of start, start to see a little bit of um of of uh romantic heat between those two a little bit um she's helping him helping him shoot pool a little bit that comes a little later, I think, but that's that's pretty sexy. That wasn't a euphemism, folks. Yeah, no, yeah, they they were actually shooting pool. Yeah. Um, but we also, and we we probably talked about this a little bit in in the the last time we talked about this season for the one episode that we were allowed to. Um, there's uh all of a sudden somebody that's out there killing mobsters and whatnot and gang members and all. Obviously, as an audience, we kind of know who it is. Uh, but I don't think, and no, I know for a fact that there's not been uh an on-screen portrayal of the punisher that's been this well done ever no uh, just short answer no and I, like i like the punisher movies and and this is another one where i'm probably like in the minority like uh i don't think the punisher movies are really held in super high regard but goddamn, is this I one actually so have much never better. watched Punisher Warzone, so I can't really speak to that. But it's not Tom Jane either, and that's probably part of the reason well, I didn't watch okay. it. Okay, in fairness, yeah, I didn't watch that one either. Um, I like Tom Jane Punisher as a character. Um, and what's more, have you ever seen the the fan film that was shot uh, several years, uh, not several, a few years back though, with Tom Jane? Nah, I don't think on so. On YouTube, there's an HD quality one out there. Go go check it out because it's actually probably more realistic to the Punisher character than the first Punisher movie was. And Tom Jane really wanted to play the Punisher again, which is why he agreed to do this fan film and whatnot. And he was kind of hoping, I think, that it was going to turn into something, which it yeah. didn't. Um, but John Barenthal, who anybody who's listened to our show probably has heard us talk about him before because he was in uh, The Walking Dead until about mid-season two yep. as Shane. Um, when he first was cast, I was kind of... I, I wasn't sold on it 100% because he's kind of a small guy, comparatively speaking, with... Uh, Tom Jane, especially because Tom Jane's pretty tall and and whatnot, um, and the Punisher's always kind of been drawn in the comic books as being kind of this big dude. But yeah, uh, we, we talked about this before. Kind of everybody who's not female in the comic books is gigantic, right? Um, but then we felt the same way about Charlie Cox initially too. But it turns out he's fucking fantastic as Daredevil. So right, who cares? Um, this Punisher is fucking brutal, man. Like, there's no way around it this punisher is so good so, so good like here's the thing about this daredevil entirely like um the supporting cast of this show is is amazing like uh i don't want to say the daredevil is the least interesting thing on the show yeah because that's definitely not true but but i mean it, it's not like it is amazing to me how equally interesting or even in some cases slightly more interesting the uh, um secondary characters are in the show the secondary characters are very complimentary oh god yes um so i can talk about the scene that i wanted to talk about the last time i remember actually specifically holding my tongue yeah um so we talked about 
you talked about the mask changing and you were happy about that because it was a little too not right. It wasn't right yeah, on. I'm still not completely happy with the Daredevil costume, but we're getting there. I'm, I'm better with it, especially with the more solid red mask yep. and everything like that. Um, so that happened just like you were hoping it would. Um, and that was, I was really biting my tongue on that. The other scene too is one that I wanted to talk about the last time because I had seen it, but you hadn't yet. And that was... In season one, there was that really well choreographed fight scene in the hallway. Dude, I know where you're going with this. Really well done. And then we get season two, and we get the first meeting between... um, Well, actually, this would be the second meeting between uh, Daredevil and Punisher at this point. Mm -hmm. Where Punisher has him tied up, or chained up, on top of the building and whatnot. Um, So first off, uh, before we get to the scene in in question... This you know whole, where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, This whole episode is amazing. Like, first off, they do a lot with a little in this episode. Like, there's not a lot of budget spent on this until you get to the last 10 minutes of the episode. Super, super dialogue rich. Um, and we're really well done. Like, the dialogue between Matt Murdock and Frank Castle at this point is ridiculously well done. Also worth noting that at this point in the show, we do not know his name is Frank Castle. We don't. Um but it's 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 terrifyingly good that because it's not just the you're doing bad things and I have to stop you. Like Matt Murdock is really trying to wrap his head around what the Punisher is doing and not necessarily saying what you're doing is bad. Stop it. Just trying to offer like alternatives and be like, so, hey, maybe do this instead or something like that. Um, and we don't know anything about Frank Castle. Again, like Eddie said, we don't even know his name at this point. We don't know about the tragedy that um, yeah, happened to his family and everything else. We just know that this guy doesn't like bad guys at fucking all. Yeah, and un- unlike, you know, say Batman, who's conflicted, or like, oh, I can't kill... The-. He's just like, no, bang. Yeah. The guy's already dead. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't really him. Like, th- this is the one problem with the, the Punisher character as a hero, is that uh, he kills people pretty indiscriminately. Right. Like... There is no due process. It's just the Punisher, you know, processes and then you die. Yeah. So the the scene that I'm that I'm about to talk about is predicated by um, a very very subtle thing that happens. There's a there's a janitor coming up to the roof, and uh, another amazing scene. And the Punisher tells him, "You don't make a fucking sound when I'm talking to this dude, otherwise he dies." And so, turns out the janitor's an old marine. Punisher kind of likes the dude, you know, whatever, but. There's a little bit of noise, but he doesn't kill him because he's, you know, the guy doesn't seem to. He never like, was going to. Yeah, I don't think he was ever going to. Like, he, that was a tactic, I think. Yeah. Like, the, that's the one thing, like, as fucking brutal as this Frank Castle is, he's still at heart. He's a good dude. Basically. Yeah. Like, very skewed morality, but he definitely leans on the light side, you know, rather than the dark side. He's, he, I, yeah, I mean, if we were playing, like, Dungeons and Dragons, I would call him chaotic good. Not neutral. Uh, yeah. He's 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 more on the good side. Yeah, he's more on the good side. He's trying to do good. He just has a fiery fucked up method. Yeah. Um so but during that part, um, one of the links, like Matt Murdock kind of breaks one of the links in the chain to to get away. He's not gotten away yet, but like there's definitely a broken link in the chain that he's that he's chained up to the building with. What ultimately happens is he end up he ends up getting loose and all of a sudden the bikers are coming to get them one of the bike because uh the punisher has massacred some of these bikers already it, well actually what happens is the punisher i i think this might even be be before matt gets loose gosh how does this go down it kind of happens pretty quick anyway this might be i 
No, this is the same episode where they grab um, the wit- the guy that wants to get into witness protection. Grody? Yeah, uh, Gret- Gr- Grotto. 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 Yeah. Grody. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, he grabs Grotto. Um, Punisher brings him to the roof and is like, uh, you know, I'm going to kill this guy or you're going to kill this guy. Uh, one of the right, two. right. No, I'm going to kill this guy or you're going to kill me. Like, gives him this sort of choice to make. Um, and, you know, basically tells Grotto's real story, which is that... Um, he broke in and killed an old lady, basically, because, you know, she was a witness and whatever. Uh, so we have this set up and, you know, there's this sort of fight between the two of them and, and uh, Punisher ends up shooting the the uh, grotto. And then he kind of, you know, as, as uh, Daredevil's fighting to get free, I think, goes over and shoots, the, blows up the biker bar across the He way. taped a gun to Daredevil's hand. Yeah. Is what, yeah, is how yeah, that happened. Yeah. Um, but in what ends up happening is is Matt Murdock gets loose and he ends up still with this chain that's firmly attached to his hand and shit. And the gun attached to the other hand. Right. That, with the bikers and whatnot, like that whole fight scene, like it kind of puts that hallway scene in season one completely to shame because this was such a fucking great scene. Dude, I, I don't know that I'd go that far because um, there's nothing shameful about that season one scene. But holy shit, man. Daredevil with the chain. It Well, okay. So it takes what they did in season one. And like you said before, it turns it up to 11. Yeah, basically. And if you guys don't know what that reference is yet, go watch This is Spinal Tap. Just do it. Nothing. We didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, go watch Spinal Tap. But uh, no, seriously, go watch this scene. This scene yeah. is just amazing. Um, see, like again everybody from arrow remember back when you used to make good choreography remember when you used to put some effort into your fight scenes uh they were never this good though they were not even ever close to this good but uh they weren't nearly the sort of bullshit that we get today no anyway. they weren't getting beat up by the mailman yeah basically so man the scene is just so badass uh first off the 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 best part of this scene is actually not the fighting part it's the part where matt is going to shoot not a person i don't think but Matt's got this gun taped to his hand still, and he's going to shoot. So he pulls the trigger, and it's empty. Yeah. And he gets this tiny... And this is actually right at the beginning of the fight. And he gets this tiny little smirk on his face. Like, you son of a bitch. And then he just starts owning bitches. Like, uh-huh. gets gets the chain out, starts beating the shit out of everybody. But, like, I just love, love, love... Like, uh, this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. That tiny little smirk he gives right as he's pulling the trigger and it's, uh, you know, empty uh, before he, you know, goes through this fight scene. So this fight scene is amazing. Like, you could watch the entire series just for this fight scene. And actually, probably not even the best one of the season. Mm, fair. It's, I think it's, I know. it's close, but, I mean... We got another sort of similar... Like, Daredevil really loves hallway scenes. Uh, that, and there's a there's a scene with the Punisher, too, toward the, the end, too. That that's It's also kind of the a diner. hallway scene. Oh, the diner the scene diner is scene. different, yeah. The, and not, I mean, they're not great fight scene. I mean, this isn't a, a, a good fight scene for the same reasons. It's a good fight scene for completely different reasons, which I'll get into when we get there. But yeah. Um, so we're not, we're not, I don't think we're going to be able to hit this one as, as with as much depth. Maybe we should talk about part of it now and part of it later. Well, we're going to, I think what we should do is kind of talk about the overall story arcs because this, this season is kind of made up of, of three or four specific storylines yeah. that, that come to, um, they don't really necessarily ever end. Um, but the first four episodes are very Punisher centric and they're very good. Holy shit. Super man. good. But then, um, we find at the end of s- episode four, I think it is, he gets arrested. 
Yeah, the end of episode... Okay, so first off, if you were not sold on the fence at some point, you know, between you know episode one and episode four, by the end of episode four, if you were not completely sold on Bernthal as Punisher, you're just wrong. Like, you just... Yeah. You have no taste. Like, that that last scene with the Punisher, uh, that that that's the episode Penny and Dime. Um, yeah. That last scene is just amazing, like... As good as the fight scenes are, this is what really makes the character. For well, me. and and there's another specific scene too that we didn't talk about that really sets up the the stage with um the Punisher and where he kind of has his sense of morality, and that is when he goes into the pawn shop and is looking for the um cop radio. Oh yeah, and he ends up dropping a whole shit ton of cash with this guy because um he, he buys like a whole like basically car radio out of a cop car so he can listen on surveillance and stuff. And the, and the shop owner kind of gets greedy and he's like, Hey, you want to buy some kitty porn? Yep. Wrong thing to say to a dude that you find out later, his family got murdered and whatnot. Um, because he doesn't respond well to that. Yeah. Again, definitely a good guy, but he's not like, well, I'm going to take you in. He's like, Nope, I'm going to fucking end your shit. Right I'm going to grab this baseball bat off your own shelf. And then you're not going to see five minutes from now yeah anyway penny and dime that that's episode four and that is a very punisher centric episode this also gives you the depths of the crazy in this of, of this frank castle and what a badass he is like i didn't even get it when i was watching it but there's this scene where uh frank's sort of stitching up his arm and i was like well what he must have taken an injury or something like that right. or what the hell is he doing and then we get to the end of this episode where he's being held captive um he's got his hands duct taped behind a chair uh, and he starts digging at his arm and he pulls out a razor blade. So what he, what, what it becomes clear eventually is that he set himself up to be taken captive. He planned for it by stitching a razor blade into his fucking arm and then digging that shit out, cutting himself free. And then, th- and then he really gets mad. The Punisher kind of plays everybody like assholes in this series because, um, it's like you find out that he's a Marine um and not a bad one <laughs> no he, he he's sort of an outstanding one he, yeah he's he's kind of um like a medal of honor complete good. total badass um but it's not only his combat skills that he that make him good like he's a very good tactician like he knows how to how to put pieces in play that will bring people to where he needs them to be in order to either kill them or do what he needs to do either way yep um uh, but we also get an, an, another character introduction too. So we see the um, the arrest of Frank Castle at the end of uh, episode four, and then in episode five we kind of deal with the um, we deal with the next stage of that. But we also meet Electra. Yeah, this is actually kind of where the Punisher storyline slows down a little bit. Punisher's kind of like basically silent at this point. I either. thought it was going to, but it doesn't. It does. It does for a couple of episodes. Yeah, there, there's. He's definitely still a part of the show, but it's much smaller because we sort of start focusing on Electra. And you know what? The first time I heard this explained to me, I was like, "Oh, that doesn't sound very good." It's really good. It is. Um, I I know what you're talking about because I I read some things online too, and they were just basically like, "Well, the Punisher story ends after four episodes, and then the Electra arc begins." Not actually the way it plays out. No. Um. It, it's much more. It, it's much better done than that sounds. Like you could see how that would be in a clumsy show, but. Much better than how that that sounds. So we get the uh, we get the introduction to Electra in the next episode. Um, damn. Yeah. Just damn. I mean, so here's the thing. Electra could have gone 
any number of ways for this uh, because it's not like she had big shoes to fill. No, like I joked about it with when we were talking about this. I was like, uh, "So, did you see the Electra one yet?" Uh, you know, how, how, she she's all, almost as good as Garner's Electra, right? So here, okay, let's let's go back to the Affleck Daredevil for a minute. I didn't hate Garner as Electra in the Daredevil movie. I, I didn't hate her. I didn't like her. That actually, I agree with. It's the Electra movie that just it's completely the Electra movie the that was just fucked. And here's the thing about the Electra movie. They actually tried to bring the hand into it and do something that actually was out of continuity. I mean, that was within continuity and whatnot. They just fucked it up royally. Just, yeah, completely. Bad. Um, They even had Typhoid Mary in it, which they could have done way better. But, I honestly don't remember that movie well enough to... Yeah, I know, I know. Um, it, 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 I watched it once and I was like, well, that's two hours of my life. I'll never get back. This portrayal of Electra, though, in the Daredevil series was actually kind of out of the ultimate series um and really well done so this portrayal of electra is kind of like she's presented as this sort of like um almost sociopathic spoiled rich girl like we're first introduced to her as being like this uh rich kid who you know basically can do whatever she wants sort of thing and is bringing in excitement into college age matt's life yeah um and this is all fun games until she brings uh the the guy that killed um uh matt's dad batlin jack the guy that killed batlin jack uh to this mansion that they've broken into and are basically drinking all the wine. turns out it's actually his mansion yeah uh they bring him home essentially um she's got him tied to a chair and she says basically you know beat the shit out of him yeah you kind of find out and this is the episode where you kind of find out that electra is kind of fucked up like yep not a bad person necessarily but not not exactly healthy. not playing with full deck no um as far as as far as you know killing people goes yeah so um the the uh matt of course uh does start beating the shit out of the guy and electra's like finish him and matt's like no i can't do that Things yeah he kind of stops himself from killing the dude yeah and um electra basically takes off and then we're back to present day and we also, yeah, this is right around the time where we get to see another character that we haven't seen since last season as well, um, which I believe, yeah, because um, I, I sent you a message and it said one word and that word was stick. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about the other character. That's yeah, I know. We'll get to that. Last season. that. That's a little bit. That's like probably the next episode or whatever. But we, we get stick comes back into the fold, um, which I really dig the way they do stick in this series. Yeah, me too. Uh, just an old blind fucking asshole. Yeah, he <laughs> is. He's like, I teach people how to be a ninjas and be a dick the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we don't really know much about Stick at this point. I mean, we kind of know what we know about him from the Matt Murdock um angle that we saw in season one, and then we 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 meet him again in this a little bit, and we know that he has something to do with Electra, but we're not really sure what until um an episode or two down the road. Uh, and then we also kind of have to pick up with the whole Frank Castle thing because at this point, uh, Nelson and Murdoch is actively pursuing the defense, um, yeah, position for uh for Frank Castle. They want to defend him in court. So of course Matt's kind of steering the direction towards defending uh, uh Castle in court because at the end of Penny and Dime we get to see you know the kind of person Frank really is, um, and so Matt's kind of steering towards uh defending him in court. 
Which also um, uh, puts Karen on his trail as yeah, well. Which kind of funny, funnily enough, uh, Karen's actually really the one that sways this. Yeah. Uh, the way that she does this, I think, is by breaking into um, Frank's, you know, old house essentially, which um, is still there, not sold, not nothing. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure he moved. still owns it and whatnot. Yeah. Like everything is exactly the way it was. Um, she breaks into it, basically finds out that he had a family and everything and kind of starts investigating and finds out that his family was brutally murdered. Yeah. At this point, we don't really know how or why it happened, but we know that it happened and she's kind of on the fence or not on the fence, but she's leaning toward the direction of this is why this guy hates criminals mm. kind of a thing. Um, and honestly, this is, this is, it kind of sets into motion like a really, really good, um, personal dynamic between her and frank castle because once they once they finally um get to the the prison or the jail where he's being held she quickly jumps in and starts talking to him about his family and everything else and then it, it, by the end of that interaction he's like okay you guys can defend me but i'm only talking to her yeah um this sets up a really good relationship in the show um non-sexual relationship frank frank and karen um the, the, I don't know. The, the whole thing is just good. Like, it's really hard to talk about the show in broad arcs because it really is something you need to go watch. Like the um, whole show, like there's not a wasted scene in the, in the whole season. I think this is one of the things that, that is very um, it, just amazingly well done. Yeah. Like the whole season is amazingly well done. Like the, this, this show is like the citizen cane of comic book shows. And, and honestly, um, the defense of Frank Castle is so important for more than just that reason too more than the dynamic between between karen and frank um there's also the foggy and matt dynamic that um completely takes a shit yeah because foggy basically gets stuck holding the bag while matt goes out and daredevils it up yeah like matt's supposed to help with a whole bunch of stuff and honestly foggy's dialogue in the season is hands down better than any any foggy dialogue that we've had before. And he was good in the first season. Don't get me wrong. No, Foggy's amazing. Like, um, and and especially because it seems like in the first season that Foggy's being set up almost as comic relief. Uh, and, and he is a little bit, but, um, and you know, he does have a few moments in season one, but in season two, he actually becomes his own character. Like he, he definitely is his own fully fleshed out character. And, uh, you know, he he reacts the way you'd expect him to. Like that this is another thing. Like the show is so well written because the characters react in a realistic manner. Um and they surprise you. Like Foggy is just a straight badass. Like he's not a badass in that he fights all badass, but he's a badass in that he knows how to man up and, and you know, be brave about he, yeah. stuff that he really shouldn't be. Foggy does with words what, what Matt Murdock does with his fists and whatnot. Like um the whole scene with him and, and Rosario Dawson's character yeah, when Claire. he's diffusing the whole gangland fight. Yeah, during, in the hospital and shit like that. The, his whole, like, don't be an asshole speech is it's fucking so brilliant. Good. Yeah, yeah, so good. Like, I want to show that to, like, every teenager ever. Like, once you get into, like, eighth grade, you should watch the don't be an asshole speech. Yeah. Um, required. Super good. And I, and I think it actually kind of does something for Claire, too, because Claire's like, oh, wow. Like, this guy's mm-hmm. kind of got what it takes and whatnot. Um. So yeah, we we get to see that. We get to see and but we we also ultimately see like the partnership between Foggy and Matt kind of dissolve during this whole thing because ultimately what it comes down to is Foggy ends up holding the bag like Eddie said during the trial. Yep. Frank Castle realizes there's something going on too that's not going his way and basically just stands up and says, "You know what? This whole insanity defense is bullshit because if I had it all do it again, I'd fucking kill every one of them." 
Yeah, see, that's the thing about Frank Castle is, like, he has this odd sense of morality. Like, he's not, like, he doesn't want to get off. Like, he's not, he he wants the truth be told. Right. Essentially. So, he's not going to play the whole, like, PTSD war veteran thing. Karen, Karen actually tries. to sympathy defense, you know. Yeah, Karen tries to get him to go down that road. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that because that would besmirch people that actually have ptsd you know what and and what i heard you know the subtext there was fuck you tumblr like yeah like stop being little bitches about everything like i i swear to god if you didn't actually say that that's what i heard no uh that i thought that was really well done and, and superb like i i i love that whole interaction oh it was amazing and, and again because it it wasn't forced like it would it didn't feel like a, oh man we're, we're railing against you people who you know claim to have ocd because you know you like even numbers or something like that right like, um it, it was a very well done line um the the whole scene really good and it sort of sets up who frank castle really is which is you know moral to a fault almost like so black and white good versus evil like that's his real character flaw yeah if there was any gray area at all maybe he wouldn't kill people but there's not gray area for him it's either you're a good guy or you're a bad guy and if you're a bad guy you don't need to exist yeah exactly um what happens next took me completely by surprise i mean it, i wasn't surprised after they sent him to prison for being i would kill those guys again if i had to and whatnot you know yeah. um but what happened after this was it blew me away because we get to see well we meet a new character actually we meet the guy who's running the prison yeah some guy whose name i can't remember um well, he's played by william forsyth yeah um and he's a scumbag drug dealer but he's like the top dog scumbag drug dealer. So he's got money and influence and all that kind of stuff. Yep. He runs the commissary, so to speak. I think, I, I think that's actually what they said. Like he he's, he's got a lot of influence in the prison because he gets in a lot of uh, paraphernalia, essentially. William Forsyth. Um, if you're not familiar with him at all, uh, he nope. is a character actor that plays a lot of mobster type dudes. Um, he played flat top in the Dick Tracy movie with Warren Beatty. Oh, no, I am. Um, if you've ever seen the Steven Seagal movie Out for Justice, um, he played Richie, who was one of the, I think he was the main bad guy um, in that movie. Um, this TV series that actually made me notice Dominic Purcell for the first time called John Doe. Um, William Forsyth played a, a bar owner that John Doe frequented in that. Anyway, Forsyth plays a lot of fucking different people. Uh, mostly they're mobster related people though and whatnot. And so for him to, to get this role where he's like the scumbag drug dealer overlord of the prison, not out of character for him at all. Yeah. Um, and he did a fucking fantastic job like he always does. Okay. So what's amazing about his portrayal is that he totally fucking owns Wilson Fisk. Yeah. The like Kingpin. not even pretend owning, but just fucking totally owns him. Like yeah. he Fisk can't do anything. And, oh, did we mention that we made Wilson Fisk again? We or... didn't, but Fisk, <laughs> Wilson Fisk pops back up. And the way that he pops back up is, I, I think we meet him first in the yard. Like, uh, he's out training. He's out benching. He's he's doing a bench. He's got to be doing, like, a 400-fucking-pound bench, too. Like, um, so this is the first, like, everybody thinks, like, uh, this is a difference in the character from the comic book, but, like, Fisk is sort of a brutal fighter in the first season of the show, but his power is sort of belied um, by his, you know, physical presence. People kind of equate this sort of like Greek statuesque figure to being strong, but go watch a strongman competition. The guys that are like lifting fucking cars. They're built like mountains. Yeah, they they, they look, but they kind of look fat. Yeah, they don't look like wrestlers. They look like big fucking people. 
Yeah. Um, like, so that's what we're getting from Wilson Fisk, actually. Like, he's out there benching, like, 400 pounds or something like that. Not, like, max. Like, he's doing reps of, like, 400 pounds. So you, like, we're basically making the point. He's not just a big fat guy. Basically, when Frank Castle goes to prison, he's kind of brought to Fisk. Um, which Fisk at this point does not have the influence in the prison yard that he wants, uh, because that's because that's what William Forsythe's character is for. That's he's he's the guy that runs everything. But Fisk has a little, he's given a little bit of of leeway in terms of things. Yeah, but, and his lawyer's kind of telling him, you know, just keep your head down and you yeah, know, serve your time and you'll be fine. Um, while we appeal, you know, still it's going to be years before he gets any freedom. But he offers Castle a deal, basically, and that that deal is is um, go kill this dude who controls everything right now, and um, you get a bad guy dead, and it also benefits me, kind of a thing. Yeah, actually, the the specific carrot he gives him here is that uh, this guy might know what happened to your family, right? Um, so Frank Castle reluctantly agrees only to find out that Fisk is basically setting up to die because once this whole scene happens, the cell door locks and all of a sudden there's 15 other dudes coming yeah, after so him. This scene's awesome because it starts out with him, um, you know, again, b- showing the brutality of the Punisher. He immediately shanks the other guy. Like he walks into the um, room with Forsyth and the other guy, um, you know, his bodyguard or whatever. He just a fucking immediately eviscerates this guy. He's down for the count, grabs the other, um, grabs Forsyth, has him up against the bars. You almost think that maybe he's not going to kill him yeah. for a minute and then just... <laughs> Yeah, because he's, right like, he's like, I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, and he doesn't die, which is amazing, yeah. because we'll get to that in a second. But uh, you do get the feeling that he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to let this one go. But uh, he doesn't, of course, just right. right in the guts. And then we get the betrayal. The Kingpin basically saying, you can see Kingpin sort of standing over the whole thing on the next floor through the bars. And the doors are closing, you know, like we were led to believe that we were going to have an out for Punisher, essentially. Like he gets to seven minutes and then he gets to get out of there. But nope. And then we get probably one of the the, the other big badass fight scenes. This is this. probably the one I think you thought I was talking about before. It definitely was. Yeah. Um. So another sort of similar hallway sequence. But Jesus Christ, this one's awesome, too. In a prison. Yep. And there's dudes with shanks and whatnot. And it just basically is Frank Castle doing everything that he has to do to survive oh yeah and see and here's doing the difference. It well. here's the difference between the daredevil scene and the punisher scene fucking nobody's getting up from the punisher scene no 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 like he, he's not like uh like matt's you know calculated strikes and i'm gonna take this guy down and shit like that like nope punisher's just like yeah calculated strikes but they're going to your fucking jugular yeah like uh, he, there's just nobody walking away from the, this this scene. So another just absolutely amazing fight in in this series. Yeah. Um. And then basically the end result is he's uh, all of a sudden he gets thrown into solitary because the the fucking prison guards have to come in and break things up because obviously the plan didn't go like it was supposed to. Um. Next thing you see is um Fisk. Dude. And. There is a fight scene between he and Fisk because he's basically just like you tried to have me killed, and Fisk is like, yeah, but you know, now that you're not dead, let's do something different. And Punisher's <laughs> like, uh, no, yeah. And so there's kind of a fight scene between those two. Um, you don't necessarily see the full extent of his power yet. Uh, Fisk's in this scene, um, it was pretty close. Um, and basically the end result is now that Fisk has power within the prison, um, he 
sets uh, Castle up with the guards and gets him out of prison. Yeah. Which uh, actually sets us up for the... Um, not necessarily third act. It's kind of like the second and a half act of the movie <laughs> or yeah. the, of the season. We're actually, see, this is the hard thing about talking about an entire series, especially one so complicated and complicated in a good way. Like all of the, this sounds complex, but it's really well done. But the other big this arc of this season is um, not just with Electra, but with the hand and stick. Right. Um, so we ha- we were introduced to the, the big bads. Uh, which is essentially the hand in this series. Um, and the hand is basically this group of assassins, you know, ninja assassin sort of uh, guys um, with uh, sort of an amazing skill set. Like for one, Daredevil has trouble fighting them because they have no heartbeats, so he can't track them. Uh, for two, they seem to be Stick's arch nemesis, and we get a little bit more of Stick backstory there. Um, uh, Good backstory. Yeah, it all it almost takes like when I was listening to that whole thing, like it takes like a mythology, like yeah, um, which we get Electra backstory at the same time, which is extremely well done. Yeah, the whole everything with Electra was really good in this, um, and we get you know a, a thing that was completely unanswered in the series so far, a uh, giant fucking hole to Middle Earth or something, as in the middle of the Earth, not the Hobbits. <laughs> I was like, "What? We we gotta see fucking cave trolls and shit? Like, <laughs> who knows, man? The the uh, essentially the hand is boring this gigantic fucking you know, a hundred feet across hole that you know it has to be a half a mile down or something like that at this point. Yeah. Um, and we also learned that they have limited immortality, and we learned that because we get uh, Nobu back. Yeah, Nobu's all of a sudden there, and Daredevil's like, "But you burned to death." Yeah, he's like, I totally fucking accidentally killed you in the last one. I mean, I didn't kill you, but I didn't save you either. You and know, Nobu like, says something like extremely witty, like the cool thing about death is it's not permanent yeah. or something like that. And basically, um, yeah, that's that's it, this definitely takes it into a more mystical direction um, for this whole thing. Um, and ultimately, what you see, find but, out is that Electra. So this is what's brilliant about the way they do this is. They introduce a character that they want you to care about in Electra, but they do so in a way that, I mean, you almost can't help but care about her because they do it by tying her in with Stick, who you already care about, and then they give you more Stick, but it also actually leads into yeah, that everything about that is so good. Um, the other thing that I really like about this whole as element, and I'll just sort of tag it back onto that sentence you just said, they introduce this whole mystical aspect. And I just got done saying, you know, I don't know, probably 45 minutes ago at this point that this this episode or this season tops Daredevil season one for me. And it does. I mean, that I don't think it's just for you. Like, I think anybody that looks at this at this series and says, well, season one's better. They're doing it wrong. Now, let's tie that back into Arrow for a second, who also just got done introducing a mystical element into the show, uh, which has been basically catastrophic at this point. Yeah. Like there's a right way to do this shit. Like I, I wasn't necessarily saying like I like Arrow because the first couple of seasons were sort of this gritty realism sort of, you know, you know, similar to like, say, The Dark Knight, because they were obviously trying to trying to tie onto those coattails a little bit. But um, there is a right way to do this stuff. Well, like, it's okay. well written. That's the look thing. at look at Supergirl. The Flash crossover introduced metahumans to the Supergirl universe. Yeah. If everything happens the way that it should they can use metahumans now in supergirl and it won't be a big thing you know what i mean like 
they're just like, yep, there's metahumans. Okay, I guess there's metahumans. Yeah. Let's move on. See, but the, but with the, Arrow, there has to be some kind of fucking stupid excuse as to why something is the way it is. Like, it can't just be because that's the way things are. There's got to be a fucking excuse for it. It's just, I don't know. They they just managed to do it in Daredevil. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what it is because actually I kind of find the Supergirl introduction to metahumans a little bit more um, uh, MacGuffin-y, you know, like sort of. It um, is, but at the same time, less is more sometimes. You yeah. know what I mean? See, but the the way the way that I I think about Daredevil compared to Arrow is that, um, Dare, Daredevil is the master, you know, laying down exactly one stroke where only one stroke is needed, whereas Daredevil Daredevil Arrow sort of uh, clumsily stumbles through, you know, swinging markers and crayons at whatever I, hits paper, and this I guess is what we get. I guess my point is this: yeah, it is kind of a MacGuffin in the Supergirl sense of things. But Arrow and Flash exist in the same universe where we know there's metahumans and we know there's things that aren't as they seem and whatnot. But for whatever reason, Arrow still tries to make excuses for those things and play it off like we're still just a... Like we're not superheroes. We're not a supernatural thing. And they fucking are. They just need to embrace their comic book heritage and just move. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about Daredevil. Yeah, um, I don't have a lot left to say on Daredevil. I just the, the the sort of my closing you know thesis on this is that we talk about Arrow and the Flash every week, so you might get the impression that uh, um, Arrow, the Flash, Supergirl, Gotham, etc. Those are all like like those are some of my favorite shows. Daredevil just destroys a lot of them. Yeah, like, Daredevil's really good. It doesn't matter really how you shake it. Like Daredevil manages to both at, at at one hand be this awesome badass show where you get these amazing fight scenes, but it also manages to just be like for every complaint I had about Batman versus Superman having really cool scenes, interesting aspects of characters, but really a shitty way of moving the story along. Like Daredevil is the complete opposite of that. All the characters are amazing. All the characters are super well done. The writing is phenomenal. It moves you from one point to the next in such subtly nice ways. Uh, just Daredevil is probably the best comic book thing on TV, almost even on the screen. Like probably, yeah. yeah. Like there's, there's, it is up there um, with you know whatever your favorite you know Marvel DC movie on the screen is. I, I do want to touch on one thing before we go pee. Yep, for sure. <laughs> um, what happens toward the end of the series? Um, and this is spoilers, obviously. If you haven't figured that out by now. I guess it's too late. We just but... ruined the whole fucking show yeah, for you, so um, we might as well ruin the end too. When when Matt Murdock runs into Punisher after Punisher's escaped, um, and this is also like thanks to Karen and whatnot, because Karen kind of pulls his fat out of the fire a couple times and whatnot. So there's two things I guess I'm going to talk about. One, the fight scene in the diner, which is the one that I had Damn, ultimately so talked hot. about. Yeah. If you weren't convinced at the sheer brutality of Punisher before you are after this scene, because it's actually just two guys that come after him. But basically he sees them when they pull up outside the diner and he tells Karen, he's like, go in the back, get the waitress, anybody else back there. I love that scene. Tell them to hide behind the biggest hunk of metal they can find. That in the was kitchen. the plan all along. Like, yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. With Cause him. he drew them out. Yeah. Um, the knife stabs, dude, just, fucking brutal like and the sound that came along with it too is oh, man. just i mean you you could it was literally hard to hear watch a things little. getting rented um rent rent i guess maybe yeah um but yeah just fucking totally brutal and at the same time 
amazingly well done. Like, hands down, John Barenthal as the Punisher, fucking ridiculous. And and not in a bad way. I mean, totally ridiculous in a good way. Um, my second point, too, is once Matt realizes that Nobu and his clan have to die... He goes to the Punisher because he he helps break the Punisher free from Nobu and his and his and his gang and whatnot because he gets caught at some point. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Okay, here's the deal: we go after him, and maybe it's okay that we kill this guy this one time." No, he says no killing. Like I, I'm pretty sure that was no. Like a- this is the whole thing because he's like, "Maybe it's okay if we do this this one time." And the Punisher's like, "You don't get it. This isn't something that you decide is okay one time." Oh, you and got then not it. Okay. again. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm and, thinking earlier in the show. I yeah. Think. No, you, you. Yeah. Earlier it was totally different, but now Matt's kind of on the on the page that yes, we got to do something different because this isn't yeah. working. And she so was like, "Okay, maybe we do it this one time." And the Punisher's like, "No." No, it's not a one-time thing. Like, you don't get to decide once it's okay and yeah. then it's not okay again. Um, which kind of leads us to the final showdown on the roof, um, which uh, Electra dies. Spoilers. Maybe. Maybe. Um, because we know that she actually kind of doesn't. I mean, she does, but they throw in the weird blood thing. Either, yeah, the cauldron of resurrection or whatever the hell. I, yeah. I mean, we don't know exactly what it is, but we're strongly led to believe that... Um, uh, Electra is not dead by the end of this this series. Yeah, and um, it's so the the final fight between him and Nobu is for all intents and purposes Matt Murdock throws Nobu off the building, um, and assumes that he's killed this dude. Yeah, and we don't know like Matt and Matt doesn't know this, but he kind of gets up and starts to walk away, and then we get to see Stick come back in triumphant fashion and just fucking murder the dude. Yeah, chops his head off. He's like, maybe you stay down this time or something. Yeah, just like that. just stop, just stop. Yeah. Um. So one of the things I'm looking forward to with Daredevil season three is Matt Murdock having to come to their grips with the fact that he killed a dude because he thinks he did. Yeah. And I actually look forward to the potential reveal possibilities that uh, he didn't, you know, sort of a clearing of the conscious stick could be like, you know, I killed him. You should have fucking killed him, but you only half asked it. My favorite thing, though, about this whole scene was after he throws the guy off the building with his little like with his new stick that he has. Which is also amazing. Which is amazing. fucking thing. And I love the savant dude that makes his armor, who seems less retarded this season than he did in the first season. A lot. He he massively so, yeah. Um, But... is you see you see Frank Castle standing on the op on the building across the way, and he sees him throw this dude off the building, and he's kind of just like, well, see you around, Red. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Love that, and that's also the first time I think we get to see Frank in the... Because Frank sort of comes into the rescue, you know, basically by popping ninjas in the ass. Yeah, totally. Um, So I love that, because this is also the first time we get to see him in the Punisher costume, you know, with the skull shirt, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. And we won't go into where he got that, because that's actually... also really well done and if you want to watch it go watch the series because it's amazing guys we cannot possibly cover every little thing in the show uh just you need to go watch the show if you are a comic book fan at all even if you're not if you're listening to our show go fucking watch daredevil yeah here's the thing even if you're not this is a show that like i would use it as a gateway drug as in you may not be a big comic book show fan. You may not be a big, you know, nerd like we are about a lot, all these things. And there's a lot of things that, you know, certain people would be like, oh, I can't believe you watch that, that we, we talk about all the time. This is not one of them. Like, go watch Daredevil. It is good yeah. fucking TV. Forget the fact that it's a superhero show. It's a good fucking TV. So anyway, go check it out. 
All right. Let's talk Walking Dead. Let's. <laughs> um, let's do the news story first. It's not really much news at this point, um, but... Yeah, I've actually kind of got this in, the, in a couple of places in the show notes. Um, so The Walking Dead, um, or rather the creators, owners, etc. of The Walking Dead, I AMC. think we're talking about AMC here, um, are talking about leaving Georgia. Um, the Walking Dead fills a lot films in Georgia, rather, sorry. Um, and they've currently got a very... Um, um, anti- Controversial bill yeah anti-lgbt bill on the law and so the walking dead is essentially threatening to walk out of georgia not not film essentially the the purpose of the bill is is to um quote unquote give religious folk freedom to um not hire uh gay people based on religious reasons or not serve gay people based on religious reasons whatnot um boy that almost sounds like we're allowing establishment of religion to interfere with the government of a nation yeah weird huh um essentially though there's a lot of filming that happens in georgia um these days because honestly it's pretty country yeah Um, and uh it's georgia is extremely generous um to uh as far as um uh giving leeway tax breaks things like that to people for filming um in their state and whatnot um this is not just an amc thing uh there's actually several companies disney being probably the biggest of them um basically saying if this bill passes we're no longer going to do business with your state in any way shape or form um the article that we have a link to is actually kind of old because the governor of georgia has actually come out and said look if this comes before me i'm going to veto it yeah um but it's not settled by any means because there's uh you know kind of extremist groups out there that are just like saying well this is wrong of the governor you can't just make this decision whatnot um but come on folks let's be fair um using religion as an excuse not to hire people um or not to sell certain products to people and stuff like that you're Unless just your hobby lobby yeah you're no do you hear about that thing hobby lobby basically um oh. sued and won uh uh the ability to deny women birth control specific types of birth control because based on religious reasons based on yeah religious i did hear reasons, about that which uh, i cannot wait to, till we see a muslim business owner deny you know something uh, based on their you know religion uh and see how that plays out in court here's the thing we don't get political on the show we try not to anyway usually um this is this is one of the biggest reasons that i'm in favor of uh, a one-payer um taxpayer-owned healthcare system is because once you take it out of the employer's hands then it's you don't have to worry about this stuff anymore yeah um so man uh yeah anyway I, obviously we disagree with this whole thing yeah um we're we're with amc and disney on this on this whole matter um and honestly i don't think it's going to come to that i think the governor's probably seen the writing on the wall and realizes that it's going to cost the state a whole lot more money to uh be bigots than it is for everybody just let bygones be bygones yeah and i can get why if you have you know some sort of weird backwards ass moral reprehension against a certain type of thing that you would you know not want to necessarily encourage that thing but this isn't the same as that well and here's the thing this is like you know we saw segregation and stuff like that already this is the same fucking thing like stop trying to pretend it's not except for these are the same backwards ass people who think that segregation was something we shouldn't have gotten rid of let's not make this something that it's not there's no church actually that's required to marry a gay couple if it's something that the church feels is is not in line with their beliefs no um now a state representative 
in in civil court doesn't have that option, but that's because they're there to uphold the law, and obviously the Supreme Court ruled that it's okay, so you have to do that. Yeah, see, because um, you're a government, not a church. But you don't have to, I mean, if you're a church, you already don't have to do this. So, again, don't make this what it's not. You already have the right not to marry them. It's fine. See, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you don't want to support something you're against, fine. You just, we just gave you that choice. Like, you're a church, you're a church member, you don't want to support that, you don't have to. But if you're what, a, what you're doing though instead is being a complete cockhole and trying to force your views on other people. If you are a taxpaying public accommodations business, you don't get to say I don't want to serve you because you're gay. Yeah, and and see this opens such a rabbit hole of bullshit that you like it's amazing to me that in this day and age like as far as we've come we we're still you know so far behind in some other respects it amazes me that we still get to make this sort of decision you're like see here's the thing about gay people whatever you feel about them they're not hurting you yeah like not even a little bit there's nothing that's happening that is actually hurting you in any way shape or form um maybe in your you know silly little mind it is but in reality nothing they're doing is actually hurting you this is just a really long drawn out complicated way of you saying gays are icky yeah but no one's forcing you to be gay so it doesn't really matter yeah anyway that's it this whole thing is stupid let's move on (laughs) Uh, yeah. So let's talk about Walking Dead, uh, the show. Let's talk about the shows that have been filmed in Georgia up to this yeah, point. Yeah, up to this point. We'll see if they still get to, but it sounds like they're going to. Um, so we're a few episodes behind on talking about this. Um, first episode that we should talk about is The Same Boat. This episode was actually really cool. This was a uh, very Carol um, and uh, Maggie-centric episode, because this is this is the episode that takes place where yeah. um, immediately after the raid on, on the Savior's um headquarters which well i don't think it's actually the headquarters but we'll go into that yeah, later the savior's satellite base thingy right literally the satellite base i think we talked about that the yeah. last episode yep. um honestly one of the better episodes that we've seen and 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 really cool for me is um the chick that the red-haired girl yeah my wife immediately recognized her it took me a little bit but um if you ever watched a tv show a sitcom called sybil back in the day nope um there was Sybil had a daughter named Zoe on the show, and this is this is her. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and didn't recognize her at first, but her voice is very distinctive and whatnot. Um, <laughs> anyway, this episode's really really good. You get to see Carol kind of go through a transition um, that you don't realize is actually transitioned until later on. No, I actually thought she was playing a part. Like, Me too. I thought, I thought, that was that was because Carol's done this. Like that's almost Carol's mo. Yeah. Like, uh, this is the one thing that I'm actually having a little bit of trouble suspending disbelief on because this has actually been kind of a Carol thing to do, like play this week, you know, sort of Nancy homemaker sort of, you know, character. But in this episode, it seems genuine. Um, Here's the thing. I kind of was like, man, this is weird until I really thought about it. We haven't seen a much from Carol this season, aside from her making some um, beaten acorn cookies. I have a theory about this. Uh, and, and then, um, the little boy. Yep. When she was like, Hey, there's monsters. Yep. Um, Carol was very much Holly homemaker, albeit an abused Holly homemaker when we first met her in in season one. Yeah. Damaged goods. Uh, very much so. Uh, she's gone through a transition, uh, a metamorphosis, if you will, uh, to a complete and total ass kicker. Yep. Um, but now, now that they're in Alexandria, she kind of again, wasn't present in a lot of episodes this season, save for a few. Uh, 
and there was some at the beginning when uh, when they first got there, and this was actually, I think, was this last season? Or was this how the season ended when, when Rick killed the dude? That's how it ended. Uh, okay, so it was at the very beginning of this season then when she kind of confronts the um, the abuser, so to speak, and she's like, look, I'll fucking stab you right here kind of a thing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of you. Wash my dish and bring it back to me after you're done eating. Yep. Um, but we didn't really see much from her after that, aside from the, her relationship with with the his youngest son, um, who died because she scared the piss out of him. Yes. Okay, he was a pussy anyway, but still, Carol Ken killed him a little. Yeah. Um, my feeling on this is this is very much genuine. Um, on on her behalf, and we kind of find this out in the next episode too. But, um, yeah, at this point, you can tell it definitely was. Yeah. So for the most part, though, my theory on this is that she kind of ended up in a position where she kind of very much felt like she didn't have to be the killer anymore. Like they were in uh, in a safe place and she kind of got to fall into that hole. This is what I do now. Only nobody's hitting me anymore. I think that's a little bit of it, but I think also the reality is that I think she's just tired of killing. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the re- like she, one of the things that she sort of realizes through her, this whole arc, which takes place over the next couple of episodes actually, is that uh, she doesn't, she kills to protect these people and if if she doesn't have these people she doesn't have to kill anymore yeah we'll get to that later i mean that's kind of a different thing um but i think in alexandria like specifically though she's kind of found in the zombie apocalypse what she never had even before the zombie apocalypse which was a a peaceful existence where she gets to be the the person that she always wanted to be without the abuse that she had from her ex and whatnot yeah you know what i mean yep um and now all of a sudden that's being put into question because she's been kidnapped by these people not necessarily kidnapped. well yeah kidnapped but i mean kind of not so because they were kind of fucking up their shit anyway um but yeah this this episode's a fucking trip um because you get to see carol behave kind of in fashions that you've never seen her behave before you want me to pull that up no, I'm, I'm. It's cool. Go ahead. Um. Honestly, and they're the only two really in it, right? Like you don't even see Rick and everybody until the until the end. You know, I mean, maybe a little bit at the beginning, and then not until the end. No, actually, we get a lot of screen time from our saviors. Um, not our actual saviors, but the, the saviors, saviors characters. Um, and that whole thing is really interesting too. And we get um, this is uh. Subtle enough to not be annoying, but we sort of get a worst example of what Carol and Maggie could become. Yeah, in their two characters. Uh, so, th- in fact, there's the the one chick that's interrogating Maggie that kind of ends up sympathizing with Maggie, although only yep. to a point. Um, there's the dude who ends up having to be knocked unconscious by his own people because he goes batshit on Maggie and Carol, which is again like a nice. Um, parallel to carol with the, the red-haired character i can't remember her i can't remember either name. but uh it's kind of a nice par- parallel because maggie's been uh not maggie sorry carol has been abused and this character uh that um carol's with sort of serves as a parallel to her so what's nice about this is the the the, the redhead chick knocks the guy the fuck out like yeah he, she's not taking that shit like the way that carol has up until this point you know yeah. Or not up until this point, but, but up, up until, until a couple yeah. of years ago, whenever yeah. this whole thing started and whatnot. Like it, it's just showing 
um, more sort of the relationship that could potentially be with Carol and, and you know, the dark side, which she could go down. So yeah, makes um, her, the, the characters more relatable. Yeah. And, and it's amazing too, because up until the point where she realizes she has no choice, Carol really is kind of pleading with these, these other, the saviors don't make me kill you. I don't want to kill you. Blah, blah, blah. Until she finally has to and whatnot. You know, I really like that too, because like it's not a question in her mind of like, oh well, am I am I gonna get through this? Am I gonna die? Like I don't think that's what she said about. She said about like, you guys are gonna make me kill all of you. Like, she the the whole thing like when she's crying and stuff like that is not because she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so worried I'm gonna die. It's like there's gonna be no choice left, and I'm gonna have to kill all right. of you. Like she has a legitimate panic attack and starts hyperventilating and whatnot. Which I at first I thought it was a work too. Like I didn't realize that that was yeah actually happening until later on. Um. But it turns out it's totally legitimate. Like, and the only reason it was happening is not because she didn't think she could kill them. It was because she knew she was probably going to have to, and it really started to fuck with her. Yeah, and that that was I think also she was afraid for Maggie at that point. Like, yeah, because Maggie's obviously knocked up at this point. Yeah, because we've heard Abraham and his. Were you meaning to make pancakes when you poured that batter? <laughs> yeah, fucking Abraham. <laughs> I think they're going to kill him soon. That's my theory. They've like got, that's why they're giving him such witty lines and whatnot. He's got the best lines. Yeah. They they want us to get attached to him, and then they're gonna yoink. So I don't know because we're coming up on the finale, and we know some main characters are gonna die. Yeah. Uh, what I still have a question about. I guess we we should get there a little bit more. Yeah. Let's 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 journey so, there twice so, as far. Um, same boat. Really good episode. Very much Carol and Maggie centric. Um, and I think you come away with a, a different appreciation for both of those characters. By the time it's all over. No, it's super good. Twice as far. Which one was that? That was... Um, this is the one where Eugene and Abraham go off on their vision quest to go find bullets. <laughs> I like this. This it's is actually... Um, this episode's kind of a heart-wrenching episode, too. Um, yeah, we have, that's, we not have, the, that's not really the thing that happens in this episode. No, it is. Not in not, not necessarily those terms, but yes. Um Eugene has a quest, and so does the doctor. Uh, Denise. Denise. Denise also has a quest. Um, because she's still after that goddamn soda pop. Well, the thing is, uh, so let's talk Eugene and and uh, um, Eugene and Abraham. Fucking Abraham. Yeah. Eugene and Abraham are going off to go because find a factory is, to make bullets. This is straight out of the comic books. Yeah. Which, Although which is, Abraham's dead by now in the comic books, but. Yeah, the idea is still really cool. So um, Abraham and Eugene go after, uh, go out to find a factory to make bullets. Uh, Abraham doesn't really know. We get to see this interesting little interaction where um, they get to the factory um, and there's a walker in there. Well, and here's the, here. Let's set this up a little bit better. Um, the relationship is strained. Um, a because Eugene, um, in previous, <laughs> previous Eugene has outright lied. Uh, to Abraham and his group about knowing how to get the cure for everything's going on, like to get to a safe place and whatnot. Um, that's been done and gone for several episodes, most of the season now at this point. Yeah, I think that was kind of a last season thing. Um, but Abraham has since started to fuck up, in which case, uh, with specifically with Rosita, because he wants to bang uh, Tyrese's sister now, Sasha. Sasha, yeah. And... Uh, brutal breakup and i don't know if it was we talked about this maybe the last episode but he was just like um we thought everyone else was dead they're not yeah i thought you were the last woman on earth yeah that's what it was yeah um 
so Eugene is pissed as hell at Abraham for that because he really likes Rosita. Um, and I think he'd almost rather have had Abraham continue to be with Rosita just because he loves her so much that he wanted her to be happy and whatnot. You know what I mean? Um, so at the same time, like Eugene is now in the position where he's like, no, you fucked up, dude. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of not all happy schmappy best buddies as they're going on this trip. The other thing is we get a little bit of condescension between Abraham and Eugene. So Abraham sort of being condescending towards Eugene, because at this point, Eugene's just a pussy. Like, we haven't seen him really. He's not killed. He a hasn't walker. entered phase two yet. Yeah, or whatever it is. <laughs> right, phase two. <laughs> phase two was amazing. So anyway, as we're getting through this whole uh, thing in the the factory, Eugene's basically like, "Let me take out that walker." Eugene's telling Abraham, "I am in phase two now. Yeah, like I've moved on. I got this. It's one walker." And Eugene's saying, "I'll take care of it." So he goes up and I can't remember if he takes a swing or something, but it turns out this Walker is dead because he's basically had iron covered in molten metal. Yeah. Yeah. So his head, his head has a molten, uh, not molten. He's got a helmet. He's he's got a fucking helmet basically. Um, and what ends up happening is uh, Eugene kills, or Eugene does not kill the walker. Abraham does when it looks like Eugene's about to get his face. But Eugene's eaten. pissed as hell about it. Yeah, and Eugene's pissed. He's like, "Dude, I had that," even though he was like on top of me and I was about to die. Yeah. Um. And they have a little spat, and finally Abraham just kind of leaves him off. He's like, "Well, fuck you then," and you know, takes off. Yeah. Um. Which we don't actually know what happens to to Eugene after that until later on in the episode because we also have another side quest between. Uh, Denise, uh, Rosita, and uh, Daryl. Yeah. Um, they're out to find drugs. They're yeah, and we mean pharmaceuticals. Yeah, they they find out there's a local apothecary, which I think they just mean pharmacy. They just forgot they weren't in the 15th century. Well, they kind of tried to explain that off by saying that apothecaries would have legit prescription drugs as well which i mean if you're running an actual apothecary you probably don't i don't know and like, i don't mean like a chinese medicine shop like <laughs> you're selling powdered deer penis not vicodin that's all i'm saying right <laughs> um, so anyway they go off to find the whole uh uh um apothecary which you know basically is a pharmacy they're going to find a pharmacy um and if you didn't get the powdered deer penis reference um watch the glimmer man starring steven seagal and damon wayans yeah that's one of those madisms. Just, I've just go with it. Seen it, but I can't remember. It's it's a Steven Seagal movie. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> first off, the whole sentence that that's a movie starring Steven Seagal and Damon Wayans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, they go off to find the pharmacy. They do. They get in. Um, this has a brutal scene, which a lot of people. Denise Denise actually really wants to get into this car because there's a cooler in the car. Hold on. Go back. Um, if we, going into the pharmacy though, like this has a very brutal scene inside of that pharmacy when Denise oh, discovers the, the walker. Yeah, it's Jesus and Christ, then the baby, and yeah, it's not good. No, it's pretty brutal. It it is sort of a um. They quickly move past it, like, but if you go back and kind of watch that scene a little bit, so there's a scene in the movie Train Spotting that has to do with the dead terrible. baby, and this is very like I don't I've never seen anything as close to that on TV as, until now. Yeah, it, so. it's it's hard to watch. Um, not well. That's not true. It's not hard to watch. It it's it's you hard. watch it and then you get over it and then when you stop and like this is this is true of The Walking Dead. A lot of the times when you stop and think about the backdrop that you're seeing, it's like holy. Then fuck. it becomes hard. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
so there, but yeah, Denise has kind of a, 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 a I don't even know how to say it. Um, she's got something to prove, but not to everybody else is to herself at this point. And she goes into this kind of big monologue and whatnot. Actually, let's, 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 before that, there's a car, there's a cooler in the car. She wants to get it. Daryl and, um, Rosita are like, no, it's not worth it. Like there's a walker in the car. Yeah, we could probably kill it. But I mean, what are the chances that the, that what's in the cooler is worth it? You know? So, yeah. Um, so she gets the brilliant idea that she's just going to go around to the passenger side and take the cooler out of the passenger side before the walker can get her. And then worth noting at this point that I don't think Denise has killed a walker. No, we haven't seen that happen uh, at all. Like, I'm pretty sure we haven't seen it. And it also actually hasn't happened. Like, it's not like she killed a bunch of walkers off screen or something like that. It's right. like, she's not done that before. Um, so ultimately what ends up happening is, uh, Rosita and Daryl have to come save her because the thing kind of flops on her and whatnot. Yeah, it, it takes her about four seconds before the walker's on top of her and about ready to eat her face. Um, so her and her and Eugene are kind of in the same boat in, in this episode um, until about five minutes from now because we do find out that there's soda pop in, yep. in the cooler. She does find a can of Orange Crush or something like that. And really the whole kind of basis of the season is she really wants to give Tara some soda pop. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a euphemism. Uh no. I think she's given her the other thing, so it's fine. Yeah. Um uh yeah. <laughs> so then she's going into this big monologue about her brothers. And I didn't really care. Nope. Until the arrow went through the back of her head. <laughs> yeah. That was first off, I was like, wow. Yeah. First that off, just happened. For the Walking Dead, I was like, well, she's getting too many lines. Like, goodbye, Denise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we get an arrow through the back of the head. We find out that it's uh, Dwight. Dwight, yeah. Dwight rocking the crossbow that he stole from Daryl last season, I think. Um, no, I think it was earlier this season. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But um, he now has these. Like, it, there's no question about it now. There's there's definitely a burned spot on the side of his face. Like, I don't think he had that when we first saw him. Nope. Uh, he did definitely did not. And I was like, did we just see? And I think we talked about this already. Yeah. Did we just see Dwight? And it turns out we did. Because they only referred to him as D before. Yeah. So, uh, and and so, of course, Daryl turns around and shoots him, except for nope, because you know who he's got? He's holding Eugene. Because yeah. Eugene's like, I'm a big man and I can do this on my own. And then five seconds later, he's captured by the saviors. Um, Fucking idiot. I love this scene, actually, after, Denise, after the whole Denise thing, because... Um, you see a brief glimpse of Abraham behind some barrels. <laughs> and then Eugene, awesome. Eugene kind of notices that he looks over. And he's like, um, kill that guy because he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and basically just six the saviors on Abraham. Only Abraham's a gone already by this time and, and moved on. And, and Yeah, I get the impression that he knows this, too. Like, yeah. Th- and this Eugene, is a play. Eugene did know it and stuff like that. But it was just funny because he was like, that guy's a fucking asshole. Just why don't you take him out instead? See, this is actually kind of cool because this is really where Eugene does enter phase two. Right. Like, uh, he's, <laughs> he's using that as a distraction so he can bite Dwight Dwight's dick off. Like basically yeah yeah so and i think abraham even later on uses the line like you you can bite a dick like nobody else or something like that <laughs> like yeah. it was ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous in the best possible way um so yeah basically everybody makes it out of this except for denise um sorry we'll miss you not really well 
Eh, I mean, now her character was one of the few characters in the show that no, they do. They haven't because um, the hilltop has a doctor, so they oh, got oh right, right, right. But you're um, like, well, you're redundant now. Yeah, Denise's character is one of the few though in this show that like really parallels the um, comic books really well. The other one being Heath with the dreadlocks. Oh, for sure. Um, so it was kind of sad to see her go because I, I'm she's Denise is still in the comics. So this is true. Yeah. Um, which again is another one of those things, man. Like it doesn't matter if you've read the comics and you think you know it all. You don't when it comes to the show. Yeah, like like you just said earlier, Abraham's still alive, Denise is gone. Yeah, Andrea obviously still still dead in the in the show. Definitely not dead in the comics. Yeah, because she's full on banging Rick in the comics. Whereas in the show we have Rashon. Yeah, for sure. Um, last episode we're gonna talk about The Walking Dead, and then we're gonna move on to some comic books. Uh, I think probably a little bit briefly. We've been going on for about three hours now. Uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about in comics too, though. So we'll try and holy hell, um, it's gonna be the longest episode of anything ever. Yeah, we knew it would be though. Yeah, I told up. you we needed to do this earlier. <laughs> East. Carol runs away. Daryl runs away. There's a lot of runaways in this episode. For sure. Um, Carol basically leaves in the middle of the night um, for reasons which we've already talked at length about. Um, so we don't really need to spend a ton of time on that. The only thing we do need to talk about is she does encounter some saviors along the way. And fucks their shit up. Yeah, this is another cool thing. Like at the beginning of the episode, she's sewing this jacket. And I was like, well, I guess that jacket had a hole and it needed to be patched. You know, and they're showing how... Very similar to John Barenthal sewing the um, razor blade into his arm. Like, we didn't know why there was sewing going on. We just know there was sewing going on. Yeah. Anyway, she meets the saviors on the road and she's getting upset and she's kind of saying, like... First off, there's like five guys in her truck. They, You know, she looks clearly outnumbered, clearly outmatched. Why don't you just come over here to the truck, sweetheart? Yeah. Not really. And she's kind of like... you don't have to do like nobody has to get hurt today you know like and they're like basically nah like we're going to alexandria we're gonna fuck all their shit up and you know everything's over we're pretty sure you're from there so yeah you're coming along too maybe they'll let us in yep and then we find out what she was sewing and then she she was sewing a you know automatic weapon into her uh jacket and then a whole bunch of people die yep um Plus, she was driving around a little Jetta, similar to the one you used to have. This is a hatchback. Technically, it's a Golf, but yes. Yeah. Um, with giant lances. Yeah, like spikes out of it. for the zombies to get caught on. <laughs> this is one of the cars that they actually had set up kind of at the perimeter of Alexandria that she just decided she was going to drive off with in the middle of the night. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Like, I thought those cars at the beginning of Alexandria were supposed to be basically... Um, Background? Yeah. yeah, like walker stoppers. They're like, uh, um, you know, basically like a crude fence. And it turns out this one actually ran. Yeah. This I, is this is another thing, too. And um, I, I watch The Talking Dead sometimes. Not every week, um, but I, I, I watch it because I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Chris Hardwick and stuff, too. But um, they actually had the lady that plays Sasha on this episode. Mm-hmm. And she talks a lot about it. And I kind of felt this during the episode, too. Sasha's kind of offended that Carol escaped on her watch not escape because i mean they're not like prisoners or anything like that but like it's like she how the walks fuck did out. she get out yeah you know kind of a thing so um that's kind of an interesting interesting dynamic with that whole show too or with that whole scene um but then like here's the cool thing morgan and carol have the scenes that carol's been in have kind of been as the antithesis to morgan up to this point this season 
Um, but as soon as Morgan's like, Carol's gone, I'm going to go find her. And then Rick's like, I'm going with you. And Morgan's like, you don't have to. Yeah. And, and whatnot. But they kind of go off. And this scene or, or the, the interaction between these two along this trip is so well done. Probably some of the best writing that we've had this, this season for the walking dead, uh, between those two, because Morgan is still dead set on, he doesn't want to kill anybody. Whereas Rick is kind of at that point where he's like, if there's a chance that you hurt my people at some point, you're fucking dying. Like, that's it. Um, Almost to the point where, like, they, they think they found her. And so they go up to this farmhouse and then there's some shit that, that, that goes down there. And they get to a point where it's like, Morgan's like, okay, Rick, go back to Alexandria. I'm going to keep looking. And Rick's like, but you're coming back? And Morgan's like, yeah, I'm coming back. But if I don't, don't come looking for me. You know what else we get in the scene? The dude they meet. Did you notice the armor he was wearing? I noticed that he had a lance. Probably a kingdom guy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. He had a lance that was definitely of hilltop origin. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think Rick's barking up the wrong tree. Like, I think he thinks he's a savior. And he's not. Yeah. For sure. I definitely agree. Um, But... Uh, what I really liked about this scene is the callback because Rick's kind of starting to walk away and he's like, uh, Hey Morgan. And yeah. Morgan's like, yeah, Rick. And he goes, Michonne totally took your protein bar. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I Cause love that's that. the third reference to the protein bar. There was the, the, like she actually took it, which was on film. Then there was the reference to like, I could have sworn I had one more peanut butter bar. Mm-hmm. And then there's this. So, I mean, like that's kind of been a recurring theme kind of with Morgan throughout it's just the uh best callback yeah. sort of way to manage that so yeah um and then there's the daryl scene yeah uh which okay so here's the thing they're supposed to be gearing up for war because at this point they figured out that there's more saviors than they thought there were they yep. know this at this point but then two people leave and so then every important character that we've had up to this point in the television show is like, okay, we're going. Yeah, they're like, uh, Kirk, Bones, uh, uh, Spock, you guys go over there. Red shirts, you all stay here. Yeah. 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 Um, So Glenn and who went with Glenn? Was it Sasha? I don't remember. Glenn and somebody. Whatever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So they go, and they get caught by some saviors. And then Daryl's like, oh, I'm going to sneak up here, and I'm going to rescue you guys. And then he gets caught by saviors and shot. Dwight. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So that's where we're at today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the potential setup that we have here, which is probably going to be a, a little bit of a spoiler for comic book fans and definitely a spoiler for TV show watchers. So if comic you book fans, we've talked about this before. So if you haven't listened to it, that's kind of your bad. Yeah. Uh, but definitely if you're a TV watcher and you want to hear nothing else, I don't know, skip ahead until I'm not talking about this anymore. <laughs> um, 
they're, they're setting It'll up be a lot approximately of, the two hour and 50 minute mark or whatever. Yeah, they're setting up a lot of things here. Um, so we know we're coming up to a character introduction, which is Negan, and we know how Negan is introduced in the comics. We are also, I would say, with 95% certainty that this is how they're going to introduce him in the show. What still remains a question, and this is something that we've already talked about a little bit, is that the show doesn't do things exactly as the comics do. There are a lot of uh, question marks here. One of the potentials, I think, is that Carol is the one that gets the bat, not Glenn. Or perhaps Carol and Glenn both. Like, I think this episode is set up to be very brutal. It's even possible Daryl. Um, Carol, Glenn, and Daryl are sort of my three front runners for um, who dies. And I'm not altogether sure that it's not going to be all three of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll be all three, but... I actually think I actually think just because it would be such a big question mark for the sh- uh, uh, comic book fans, I don't think it's going to be uh, Glenn. Yeah, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they go with that because that changes M- Maggie's story arc quite a bit. It does, but I don't think it's going to be Glenn. I do think with near certainty it's going to be Carol. And what I'm not sure about is if it's also going to be Darryl. another character, like say Daryl. I don't think it's going to be Daryl, though, because they kind of shot him in this episode, and he's not going to live for five minutes just to die in the season finale. Dude, I don't know. Um, there's been some apparent news regarding his contract, and I don't have any links or anything like that, so I can't really talk about it. But one of the big things, and this is, again, there's a lot of clickbait out there, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, lots of people have been like, so with the recent news about Norman Reedus's contract, is it possible that he's dying? Mm-hmm. Um, so... The other thing to look at that too is, um, Daryl doesn't have a part in the comic books at all. Oh yeah, he's like the complete question mark in the whole. So they could right now. they could go on without him if they had to. I mean, I don't know if they would keep the same fan base, but also at the same time, I felt the same way about Sons of Anarchy when they killed a really key character in season four too. But I kept watching through the whole thing, so there you mm-hmm. go. Um, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting because we got the season finale coming up tomorrow as we record this. Holy shit! Yeah. Um. But the fun doesn't end there, folks, because immediately following that, the next week, we have the beginning of the season two of Fear the Walking Dead, which I think you and I will probably both be watching and talking about as well, uh, which is also a completely different show. Uh, we definitely will, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's where we're at right now. We know that something catastrophic is going to happen in the season finale. Uh, we're going to see Negan for the first time. Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan, which I think is awesome. If you're not familiar with Jeffrey Dean Morgan... um watch supernatural season one and two he's in that um sporadically he's in the watchman uh yeah i was actually gonna say watch the watchman because his character is uh, i think quite a bit better yeah a better represent representation of what jeffrey dean morgan can do um he's um, also in the losers uh mm-hmm. yeah he's he's in a lot of things jeffrey dean morgan is uh he's a talented guy he, he plays a good tough guy a lot of the time so you know what else he's in Batman versus Superman. Yes, he is. He plays Thomas Wayne for yes, he does. about four seconds. Yep.
But here's what I realized is that anyone could just read, just choose to read comic books all the time. And when people were like, what about literature? You'd yeah. be like, whatever, man. <laughs> comic books. Um, so I've been reading an interesting thing. Um, Avengers Standoff. Uh, I wasn't actually initially going to read this because I didn't know it was a thing. Um, but Uncanny Avengers is one of the titles that I read regularly. And the most recent issue of it ties directly in with this storyline. So I kind of had to go back and read uh, Standoff Alpha and then the, the introduction to it. It's actually kind of a cool concept. Basically, Maria Hill takes pieces of cosmic cubes and um, creates a prison where instead of rehabilitating criminals, she basically warps reality so that they don't know that they're super-powered beings anymore and puts them in a town um, where they're basically just normal people. Um, so they have neighbors and jobs and whatnot, and they don't know anything different because this cube has kind of... The, the pieces of the cubes have kind of merged into one thing and created this little tiny being. That, okay. Because the cosmic cubes in, in Marvel can kind of evolve and whatnot. Um, and so it's it's interesting. So there's a lot of... All the Avengers basically are kind of converging on this little town um, that isn't real. Unbeknownst to the people running the place, uh, though a couple of the supervillains um, have discovered this whole thing and uh, remembered who they were. Gotcha. So to speak. Um, also uh, trapped in the mix is Bucky because Bucky was investigating it and uh, got caught. And so they kind of did that whole cosmic cube thing to his head too. So he's, he's coexisting there as well. So um, really interesting. And um, the way that I found out how to read this in a specific order was this website that we've linked, um, which is how to love comics and uh, how to love comics is kind of cool because it, takes all the storylines and multi-book crossovers and whatnot and it kind of tells you these are tie-ins these are the main stories um and gives you a really accurate read order of of how to read these comic books and, and kind of get the most complete understanding of these storylines that you can see get. this is super useful especially for people like me like i like reading comic books but i just don't have uh enough time to devote to read to you know like to um you know seven different series to get the complete story so i really like this idea that you know you can go here and figure out what tie in order to read and all that kind of stuff yeah. um that and i clicked this link and there's a lot of cool shit on this mm -hmm. site actually if you if you're a fan of comics or if you're thinking about becoming a fan of comics um there's a lot of things in here that you could check out that would help you in that pursuit. So yeah, check that site out. Um, check out Avengers standoff. Um, and you know, we will link to, you know, basically the, the how to love comics.com slash, uh, suggested reading order. And there's, there's a, um, actually there's another tie in with the X-Men comics, uh, coming up too, or not tie in, but a, a, a crossover event called the apocalypse, uh, apocalypse wars, which obviously we have X-Men apocalypse coming out this summer. Yep. Um, so they want to, kind of refresh people's memory on his character and whatnot. Um, and this is going to cross over, I think three different X-Men titles. So um, also a, a pretty solid read order um, on this website for that as well. Comic uh, X-Men comics are one of the comic books that I read regularly as well. So um, I'll be keeping track on that and I'll update you guys once we get further into it. We're only like maybe one issue into the apocalypse wars right now. I think I read the first issue of it, um, which was an extraordinary X-Men seven or eight i don't remember which number but anyway 
Um, also in comics, um, let's talk about the Dark Knight because we've been putting this one off for a long time. Yeah, this has been on this maybe because I didn't read it. And actually, there's a couple of things too. Um, Batman Fifty, real quick, because mm-hmm. one issue. We both read that now. Um, this mm-hmm. brings the Bloom storyline uh, to a close, as well as brings Bruce Wayne uh, back into the fold as Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was really well done. Yeah, I really liked it too. Also interesting, there's a variant cover for this issue. Well, I'm clicking this link now because I didn't see this before. Go on. Uh, this variant issue was drawn by uh, somebody who you wouldn't, actually suspect to holy shit no right definitely not um so anybody who's familiar with american idol um since its inception probably is familiar with uh a singer by the name of chris daughtry uh did not win but probably has had more second or something yeah he's had more commercial success than any of the winners gone on to be more famous than his uh the winning person of that season which i can't even remember who that was i think it was clay aiken yeah that season um i didn't watch but obviously i know um yeah this this issue was penciled by chris daughtry and inked by jim lee yeah this cover or yeah this, this cover the the variant cover for it um i thought that was really cool um again though that uh speaking to the content of this issue really well done um i'm actually really amazed because this man super solid super solid cover oh the daughtry cover yeah, yeah, I didn't look at this link before the show because, you know, I'm a professional and I prepare for our shows, you know, with all the vigor that um, people who don't prepare for with, anything do. With all the vigor of the times I don't read your links. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, this is the first time I've seen this. Um, damn. That's it's 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 good. Like, it's definitely not something you would consider to be, you know, of amateur quality. No, like, like you can tell this guy probably sits down and draws a lot like probably more than he sings. Yeah. I wouldn't have even noticed this being a, you know, not, um, professional cover had you not brought it up. This picture of Batman was drawn by a pop star is not the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, precisely. Um, anything, anything to add to the actual storyline for this, uh, aside from the ending of the, of the whole bloom thing. Um, did think it was a little rushed in terms of um, yeah, that's the one I... kid that kind of started the whole thing. Like that wasn't even hinted at anywhere in, through any of this, and all of a sudden it was a thing. This felt a little bit more like a, um, I don't know, like a denouement, like a last, you know, like resolution sort of after the third act kind of comic. So there's a there's a title called We Are Robin that I haven't read, and I don't think you have either. And I think these two kids tie directly in with that. So if there was actual hints as to Bloom's origin in that book, you or I wouldn't have known it. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think the story was really well done. I really like the interaction between Batman and, and uh, Gordon. So Batman and pseudo-Batman, as it were. Um, with the whole get to the hospital, and then Gordon obviously is stubborn and won't go to the hospital and has to save people and whatnot. Um so I really dug that. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think 51 and 52 are probably going to be kind of throwaway issues. I don't think they're going to be mind bending or groundbreaking or anything like that. You know, and it doesn't have to be that way, but I kind of think that's going to be true. Yeah. 
Um, we are heading into um, in June. We get uh, we start the first of our rebirth titles, and Batman Rebirth is one of them. Um, as far as what that is, and um, kind of to break it down in very simple terms because we've talked about it before. Um, this is going to be. I don't want to say necessarily a reboot of the DC universe because the, the, the premise is they're going to keep the best of the new 52 stuff while bringing back the best of the stuff that got left behind when flashpoint and the new 52 happened. Um, it'll be interesting for me to see how that happens. Obviously Eddie and I both have a lot invested in both the old and current universe and stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated on that, but that was Batman number 50. Let's move on to the dark Knight universe. Um, which is separate from the main DC continuity because Frank Miller's got to do things different. Yeah. Um, so as much as I didn't like the Dark Knight Strikes Again, I yeah. really loved um, uh, the first Race. three issues so far. Yeah, we're yeah, three issues. We're in. only three issues in, and this this is actually going to be a longer series um, as it turns out because typically, you know, the Dark Knight Returns was of course a shorter book. No, that's not true. I'm, no. I'm thinking because I, I read the collected trade paperbacks. Right. But strikes Dark Dark Knight Strikes Again was shorter. I think there's going to be six issues, uh, maybe eight. I don't know how many total, but we're only three issues in, and they're not being released very regularly. I don't think we get the fourth issue until end of April, um, which we just started yesterday. So. so anyway, the biggest compliment I can give this book is that when I got done with the third, I was like, well, that's not the end. Where this, where's the next one? Oh. It's not out yet. Now I'm reading it in real time. And um, there's a lot of books that I've done what, that with uh, because, you know, like I said, we, if you've followed the show, you know that uh, I've only relatively recently gotten into comics, um, which means I've got a lot of catching up to do. There's a lot of good stories out there to read. And so there's quite a few like Saga. Uh, saga is another book we're going to talk about, but I was really far behind on Saga. They're, you know, 25 issues behind or something like that. Um, and that's another book that I just, I get done with one book and I'm like, oh, I got to read the next one. Yeah. Um, this was, this was actually like that too. Like, oh, wait, where's the next issue? Like, it's not just like, a, oh, I can put this down and walk away and it's something to do when I have time later. It's like, oh, where's the next one? Yeah. Because the story is actually not finished being told, we're, we're probably not going to actually do any spoilers or anything like that about this. Um, one thing that I will say is it's interesting because a lot of the, like one of the big um, themes in current comic books right now is to do a comic book, you tell the main story and then you use the last four or five pages to do like a sub story or something like that. That's uh, a lot of books do it. Um, the Snyder Batman books were uh, really heavy on that kind of thing, especially yeah, for the definitely. first 20 or so issues or whatever. Um Maybe this belies my like new school comic book reading, but I didn't typically like those too much. No, I didn't either. But what's cool about these ones is you get the impression when you when you run into it that you don't have to read it. Yeah. But then if you don't, like the next issue doesn't make a lot of sense to you. No, you you kind of do need to read it. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of tricky the way they the the way they do it. But it's I also think like it's really cleanser. well done. Yeah, it is. It is. It's really well done, and it, and it sets the stage for the next issue really well. Um, but this is kind of cool because in one of the things that the Dark Knight Strikes Again was good for is it kind of brought in um, some other characters to the fold. Ray Palmer, for one. Yep. Um, the Bottle City of Candor. Yep. Things like that. These issues really, really go more in depth on those kind of things, but it actually makes it into um, a really cohesive story for the Dark Knight 3 so far. 
And again, it's not done yet, so it could completely shit the bed before we're all done. But I, I think I speak for both of us. We're both extremely happy with where we're at so far um, in this. And also, from a visual standpoint, I love Frank Miller's writing. Not a huge fan of Frank Miller's art. I really didn't actually enjoy the art in Strikes Again at all. This is probably one of the reasons why I don't like that book that much. But I I thought it was much better in this book. And I don't know if that's I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. So it's, it's possible. not Frank Miller. Not all of it. There you some go. of it. That's some of it is. Answer. Some of it is, but not all of it. Um, he actually brought in other artists for this. Whereas uh, The Dark Knight Strikes Again was completely written and drawn by Frank Miller. So, um, I just. Uh, he doesn't draw things that are visually appealing to me. And for a comic book, like the art has to be good in a comic book for me because it's, I understand that there's a story involved and that there's words to tell that story and everything, but the pictures are supposed to be uh complimentary to the story. And if the story is good, but the visuals are, uh, you know, painful to look at, I don't yeah, care. See, for, you know, it, it's all, I, I guess a little bit about artistic, artistic taste and i'm sure there's a lot of people who would really like this book and the art but i didn't and i find it hard to engage in a book that i don't really enjoy the art on so anyway master race very good another book that i really did enjoy the art on though hold on hold on hold on don't bitch what don't 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 segue into that yet let's talk about one other book before we go to that all right A, a 60 page story Spawn Batman. Spawn Batman. Yeah. Since we're on Frank Miller, we might as well just do okay. the Frank Miller piece. Yeah, yeah. So Spawn Batman, written by Frank Miller, drawn by Todd McFarlane. Um, this is really interesting because this actually is one of the only times in DC continuity that you will see both Gotham City and New York City referenced as being separate cities in the same book. Yep. Um, kind of a cool, cool concept. Um, weird cyborg thing shows up in Gotham with a bum head and robot body. Batman's like, well, that's gotta be from New York. So I'm going to go investigate that. This, um, I really like this book because it sort of gets Batman. Um, there's a lot of things about this that I, I think are good characterizations of Batman, but also there's a lot of things that I didn't really like about it. Like it is sort of an odd story. Yeah, like the the worlds don't fit together very well. I mean, it, it's it's fine. It's like an Elseworld story, but I don't want either of the books to consider this like a canon. No, story. I don't think they do. No, I, um, I, I I'm pretty sure this, this is, is just definitely a firmly set in the Dark Knight universe because it's Frank Miller, and I don't think Frank Miller does anything that's not Dark Knight related when it comes to the Batman, save maybe year one. Um, but uh, it, it's really funny because there's a. <sighs> It's almost like a buddy cop feeling between yeah. Spawn and Batman. But adversarial. Like, I like it. It is adversarial um, to an extent. Um, you think it's going to be kind of that way the whole time. And then at the end of the day, they're, they're both just like, well, I guess we have to do this kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, fun to read, though. Really fun to read. Um, it was 60 pages, and I think I got through it quicker than I get through some standard comic books these days, depending on... on how well they're written and stuff yeah so. the, the art style is a little bit different especially well it's not really different for spawn but it, it's sort of the batman ba- it's batman in the spawn art style which actually worked pretty well i thought except for the cape the cape kind of drives me nuts because mcfarland draws the cape in these weird like 
polygon kind of things with it kind of yeah that's true and he does it for spawn but that's okay with spawn because in spawn the cape is alive it's part of the costume but the the costume is a is a parasite and it is a living organism so it's not always the same when you look at it batman though batman's cape is just a cape and it really shouldn't go out six miles no off into no. the distance <laughs> his his cape is actually just a regular it's not like a uh, um, some sort of symbiotic creature thing right yeah um, but other than that I thought it was really well done I liked it a lot yeah now we can so talk about the other one that you wanted okay. to talk about so Saga uh, man okay so <laughs> you're kind of going to have to lead this one because uh, Saga so here's where I'm at with Saga I love it so much I want to have its babies um, I Saga has quickly become I don't want to say my favorite comic because it's really hard for me to pick a favorite anything but it's definitely one of my favorite comics um, I last night I had to be up for work early and instead I was like you know what I'm going to read I don't know 10 issues of Saga right. so um, we were supposed to read 20 through 25 I think for this show right yeah and you read yeah. 20 through 35 right uh well, well like actually 22 I think you or 23 were done. yeah you were already done with a couple of them but yeah I, I think i read 23 through 35 so you know only 12 issues but man do i love this book okay so here's the deal we've talked about this book a lot the unfortunate thing is as good as a story is we don't always remember all the names to the characters um or we'll talk about a five issue story arc or not even a story arc because sometimes we won't finish a whole arc, but we read five issues at a time and sometimes we don't remember what happened to what issue and stuff. Um, I actually decided that I was going to be professional about this and I went out and bought a little uh, notebook and, and, and a nice pencil so I could actually start taking notes and whatnot. Um, so starting with issue 21, um, with issue 20, we kind of discovered that Alana was like, Hey, I want to take drugs now. Um, as you do. So with 20, this kind of continued. Um, and we also have the um, Marco storyline where he kind of meets this weird blue bat looking lady um, who's a dance instructor. Yep. Um, so he starts taking Hazel to dance lessons and whatnot. Um, at the same time, uh, we also have uh, the uh, Dengo, the black and white janitor robot who goes batshit crazy. Yeah. Who's probably not actually crazy, but um, no, he's just pissed off. But he kills Prince Robot for his wife and steals their their son, the princeling. And at the same time, we have Prince Robot Four, who is on the sex planet. Yep, because he's completely out of it. Doesn't know what the fuck's going on because uh, somebody shot him. Yep. Uh, so the dominatrix lady that runs the sex planet decides we need to tell him what's going on because there's some shit going on at home. Um, they tell him what's going on and he fucking blows a giant hole in her. Yep. Because he's been there for several weeks now and nobody's bothered to mention to him that he has a wife and a kid and whatnot that he completely doesn't know about. Which leads him to say, I need to go talk to King Robot. Which leads us... <laughs> King Robot's amazing. Which leads us to the next <laughs> issue. Um... So I'm I, I'm kind of skimming over some of the, these things, but um... well, the main arc I think over this period is that we start to see some fracturing in Alana and Marco's relationship. We definitely see that. Um, um, in fact, and, issue twenty two highlights most of that. Yeah, and and it really has to do with the fact that Alana's you know totally turning into a druggie. Yes, and at the same time, not necessarily. I mean, like she's kind of handling it, but not well. Um, 
We have, yeah, I mean, it, she kind of, she lets loose a line of dialogue in one of her um, open circuit performances that uh, ends up tipping off the uh, gay press writers to yeah. her location. Um, so there's that. At the same time, we also see um, she shows up. She's coming home from work. Marco's there with a bag of groceries and he sees her actually taking drugs. And he's like, oh, you do drugs now? Yeah, <laughs> um, I like that. Yeah, and then so they kind of get into the spat, and then she finds out that he's been taking Hazel to this blue-looking bat chick for dance lessons, and so she gets pissed off at him, um, even though he's been totally discreet about it, actually hasn't cheated on her. Yeah. That's kind of the overlying thing is, like, the book almost wants you to believe that he's going to do this, but then he doesn't do it at all. Yeah. Um, it, it is actually really funny in that way. Like it, it does kind of like lead you down this path where you think, especially because the way that they set this up is actually, um, I an think, issue at the end of issue 20, like Hazel's like, this is the story of how my parents split up. Yeah. And so then the next thing, you know, like Alana's taking drugs and he's met this new girl. Right. And so you, you, you expect that, uh, this is all going to go the worst way possible. Right. And it doesn't go great, but it doesn't go the way you expect. No, Marco actually kind of ends up being, the real good guy so far and i haven't oh, read yeah, as far yeah. as you have so um but i i don't think that i would change that characterization very much right so um but they get into this big fight and then marco throws a bag of groceries at alana and she flies out the deep end completely completely it's really funny actually because this continues on and i, I think it's too far that i don't want to spoil exactly how this goes down but that that's a point later on mm-hmm. um so she kicks him out because he throws groceries at her. Yep. Um, we segue into actually, and this happens kind of in between this. We meet King Robot for the first time. King Robot. King Robot. <laughs> I love him. Who's kind of similar to Prince Robot, only he's a little bit more rotund in the body, but then has like a giant like ninety-five inch widescreen TV for a head. All the other robots that we've seen so far have kind of a seventeen to twenty-two inch monitor. They they, they look like overgrown CRTs, right? Like King Robot is a full on like flat panel, hundred and five LED. LED. Yeah. yeah, he he just gigantic, comically large, uh, with a flat panel head. We can't forget the scepter. Yeah, the the scepter is pretty badass. <laughs> um, so we meet him for the first time. Um, uh, man, this issue doesn't actually cover a ton. Um, Dango though. After we meet this, uh, King Robot really, really makes Prince Robot feel inferior. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically decides that his wife is going to be buried next to um, Prince Robot's brother, mm-hmm. who he doesn't like. Nope. Um, but the king's like, well, she's got to be buried next to somebody with honor in this family, and it's not you. I kind of like this because um, you, th- this is... Uh... So many things I love about Saga, but we start off with Prince Robot in the beginning of the book, and there's this, you know, like, he's just such a different character. Like, yeah. there's this arc that Prince Robot goes through that, like, um, is just phenomenal. Like, he has this clear fall from grace. You think that he's sort of held in this esteem that he's not really, like, so so good. So well, good, this book is. And here's the thing. Like, when you first meet Prince Robot earlier in the series... You get the impression that the robots are these badass, regal, like, oh, yeah, everybody yeah. answers to them kind of characters. By this point in the story, there's subtext that really kind of illustrates the fact that 
Landfall has played the Robot Kingdom for patsies, basically. Yep. That's and- Dango's whole uh, mission, essentially. He's pissed off because there's been a lot of injustice to, you know, the lower class of the robots, uh, um, you know, it's sort of related right. to that. If you're born and your monitor's in color, like, you're probably in good standing. But if you're black and white, you're a janitor. Yeah. Um, not to mention... <laughs> Not to mention, like, the whole thing with, um, again, with Landfall is I think the Robot Kingdom probably would not even be a thing if it wasn't for Landfall at this point because they, they happen to side with this one particular side of the war, and that's where they get their fame and notoriety from, but they're not actually that big of a deal. Um, So we get uh, Dango. Uh, still with the princeling who tries to um, hijack the open circuit. Yeah. Which leads Yuma because he ends up killing the other two people that are with Yuma um, outside of the studio. And Yuma's like, look, it's not like that. Like we don't even really have control over what goes out on the other circuit. This is just where we do the recordings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, a, in an attempt to save her own life, she, she kind of sells out Marco and Alana like completely. Um, which leads us into the next issue. So then we get another, um, another, uh, sub story where Marco again, doesn't cheat on Alana. <laughs> yeah. Um, although he does go to her when he gets kicked out. Yeah. So there's obviously some kind of feeling like he's okay to do that, um, with him, but he shows up there, um, because Alana kicks him out. And then he, he realizes that, uh, Hazel left, uh, her doll there, mm-hmm. um, which is a pretty important doll. And I, honestly don't fucking remember the name of it and i didn't write it down because i'm stupid it's funny it's just a silly little kid name yeah. like you know any of the other little kid names your 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 kids call their stuffed animals or whatever but marco is very obviously like uh the Marco's kids just like the best fucking dude ever like well, marco's the kid's like lifeline you know what i mean like because yeah. alana goes to work every day and and does what she can to earn for the family and whatnot but marco stays home with hazel and and plays with her and he's he's the stay-at-home dad kind of a dude um so we get that whole thing. Um, so he, he sees the doll, grabs it, and realizes that Hazel doesn't have this doll, and she doesn't sleep without it. So he's got to get it back to her, regardless of Alana's feelings for him at this moment. He he wants to do what he can for his daughter to make sure she's comfortable and whatnot. I actually really like this arc for a lot of reasons. But, like, one of the things, you know, we talked, you know, like I said, I'm I, I'm not anti-feminist. In actuality, I'm fairly positive, positive feminism, you know, anti-gender exactly. roles and stuff like that. And this actually does a great job of illustrating this. Like, if like swap genders for a second and this makes a lot more sense in a traditional manner uh, as in uh you know man goes to work woman stays home deals with the kid you know is the 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 sort of comfort and so on and so forth um the opposite is true here which is really kind of an interesting way to handle this but you know saga turns a lot a lot of those sorts of things on their head right um going in going further into this particular um issue so he takes off to go do that. At the same time, it goes back to Dengo and Yuma outside the studio. Um, so he ca- he takes the information and he's fine with that, but he's also relatively certain that he doesn't need to deal with Yuma anymore. So he shoots her, uh, presumably killing her at this point. Um, and then, um, so we're, we're worried at that point that he's going to find them and, and do whatever. I don't know what he plans on doing with them. Um, but then we turn into um, we go back to the rocket ship, and if you haven't been following along, that's where Marco and Alana and everybody lives is on the wooden rocket ship, mm-hmm. um, where you see a really 
cool interaction between Isabel the ghost and Alana. Yeah. Um, you, you actually get to, you're clued in a little bit to Isabel's background on this. Um, she had a girlfriend at one point in time that she broke up with. And then it was, it wasn't until after she died that she realized that she wasn't ever going to get to have this relationship anymore, even though they broke up and whatnot. Um, which is basically Isabel trying to convince Alana that, you know, here's the deal. Stop being an idiot. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. Um, because, I had this once and now I don't have it anymore and you still have the opportunity to have it. So, um, which was really cool. Um, but that's when we see Dengo show up mm-hmm. and Dengo's kind of a badass because for all intents and purposes, Marco's mom really tried to kick his ass and then didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he kidnaps the entire family minus Marco and fucking takes off into space yeah blasts off right as marco shows up so marco presumably is thinking that uh they just left him right essentially. uh yuma at that point staggers out of the woods and tells marco i fucked up really bad i sold you out mm-hmm. we need to do something about this right about the same time prince robot 4 shows up and encounters both of them and you don't know what's going to happen at that point that's the end of the issue you just see that final scene um which is really well done yeah uh, man okay so i think we're to the end 25? that's the end yeah that's okay. the end of 23 actually oh shit so we got two more yeah all right so let's recap really quickly two more because there's a lot of things i want to t- say about this whole thing in general um but i you know i'm having a troubled remembering specific scenes because i read them in such such succession but there's a lot of right. themes at saga with saga that i want to talk about just in general 24 actually picks up with the brand yeah um so the brand shows up on um quatus mm-hmm. um finds a little seal dude goose goose is amazing yeah that's uh g h u with an umlaut s you gotta love anything with an umlaut i really also love that panel where it's like uh is that goose you know spelled like g o o s e and, and I don't goose, think I've encountered that yet. Goose says no. That's goose. G H U. I don't. I don't, I don't know if we actually know where we're at here. If that's his name. Oh damn. Okay. But right. it's fine. Um, I thought that happens actually. It really might have, really and I might have. I might have glossed over it because he he's there's another part of this that comes along, and that's with Frendo. Do you remember yeah. Frendo? The dog. Yeah. Sort of. The the sea lion. Hazel's Hazel's weird sea lion dog thing. Yeah, friendo. He gets he gets friendo from or they get uh, friendo from goose. So. Right. Um. So this is actually more of a um, Gwendolyn Sophia the Will centered storyline in this book. Um. So they're on the they're looking for a spell that will heal the will because right now modern medicine can't heal him, at least not without being in a vegetative state. So. Um. They steal the spell. Um. They almost get caught the brand lion cat actually kind of saves the day with that one, which again, lion cat is a character that's done really well in the series. Lion cat is one of my favorite characters ever. Yeah. Um, so the brand finds Gwendolyn and Sophia. Um, he's not really sure who they are, but he thinks he thinks they are responsible for the will being um, injured, which in a roundabout sort of way, Sophia is, but she was hallucinating when it happened. So wait, quick point. The brand is a, she, the brand. Are you saying that wrong accidentally, or you you realize that right? Did I say he? Yeah. Uh, I thought that I said the brand thinks that. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. 
Anyway, the brand is a she. It's the Will sister. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Um, this is kind of cool because uh, Gwendolyn and Sophia kind of convinced the brand. And what's the dog's name? I don't remember. Sweet Boy or something stupid like yeah, that? Yeah, I don't remember. Something like that. Um, Or maybe that's just that they call him. I don't know. Yeah. So they convinced them, uh, the, the the brand to go along on, on this mission. And the mission... Um, <laughs> the mission's the best part. <laughs> this is what so, so makes this saga. One of the main ingredients in this spell that they have to do is dragon semen. <laughs> yep. Um, so we kind of go into a flashback scene where we see uh, some history between the will and the stock. Because where they have to go to get the dragons is also the home planet of the stock. And so you see a little bit of background about them. Uh, the two of them discussing the possibility of having children eventually at some point. Um, during one of the weirdest sex scenes like ever. During one of the weirdest sex scenes ever. Because the stock, if you haven't picked up an issue since we started talking about this, is very much an arachnid. An arachnoid. So it, yeah. It, she, it's weird. So she's she has got tits. Like, yeah, she's like female torso with this weird spidery looking head and and definitely arachnid body you know uh but apparently so, also a vagina of some sort yeah 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 um so we get to see more background about the stock and then um prince robot for marco and yuma uh at the end of this issue enlist the help of uh goose yeah i love goose He's this the best. makes me think of Top Gun. He he reminds me of Butters actually. Like when <laughs> a I little bit. when I read him, I read him in Butters' voice, uh, which is amazing because well, he's actually kind of a badass little character, even though he seems a little simple. Yeah. Um, which leads us to twenty five, uh, which is the last issue we'll be talking about today. We get uh, we start out issue twenty five with actually a really high level look of the war. Um, which oh, yeah, this is yeah, a really yeah. important piece of, of information because, and they kind of allude to it earlier in the book, but the war between Wreath and Landfall has all but stopped on Wreath and Landfall. Like they've gone back to life, everyday life as they know it, or as, as they knew it before war. Um, because at, at this point, the war is essentially being fought by every other planet in the galaxy, except them because it's, of so, all the aid that both sides have enlisted and whatnot. Um, this is another thing that um, just makes Saga such a well-done book. Like, this whole thing, like, I don't know if I was supposed to, but, like, the subtext I was getting here is that this is a lot like America and a lot of other first world nations. We don't fight wars with China. We fight wars through prox- proxy nations. Yeah. Like uh, the same thing, you know, we, we've done this with lots of country, lots of superpowers, Russia, you know, we, we don't fight with wars in Russia. We just pit Afghanistan against, you know, something over in that fucking fucked up area right. that we keep screwing with. Like I, uh, and then, then the whole idea of like, we don't, um, we don't do the fighting anymore. We, you know, just sort of fight through proxies and have our day-to-day lives and don't really deal with the out, uh, fallout so much. Although they did mention that there is a draft in this sort of thing. So some people still do, you know, some of the unlucky few or, or you know, the occasional volunteers, which, you know, again, not unlike America. We, so, we kind of anyway. got a hint at this when we went to um, the Alana's stepmom who was also her friend in high school and whatnot. 
um, we kind of saw a little bit of a, a, a glimpse of, of how things actually happen on landfall yeah. during that, during that issue and, and stuff. And so this was really kind of a, a neat explanation and, and ties everything together for that. Um, meanwhile, though, Dengo has taken the rocket ship and the family to um, Hoth, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and he takes her off ship along with the little princeling robot. Meanwhile, um, Clara and Alana are basically trying to formulate an escape plan, but Alana's kind of going through some withdrawals and throwing up yeah. every five seconds or whatnot. Um, so they kind of try and formulate this escape plan. Nothing really happens on that yet. Um, kind of interesting. In Saga, you can spuck fi- you, you can spuck fighters. You can fuck spiders, but you can't do drugs. That's right. bad. Yeah. Um, and now we run into... <laughs> my notes actually just say dragons are cunts. <laughs> that's legit they um, are so they run into a dragon um our 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 heroes on the quest gwendolyn and sophia and the brand they they find their dragon that they're looking for um only when they cut the little bottom sack open it's not a dude so they can't get any semen out of it um it turns out though female dragons will piss all over everything that threatens them so that it alerts the rest of the dragons in the neighborhood to their presence yeah <laughs> that was both hilarious and sort of like oh well they're fucked yeah um so that would be why the notes say dragons are cunts yeah um we also kind of get a little bit of um background on the uh dynamic between prince robot 4 and marco because when prince robot 4 first shows up he's got a gun on him and then the next time you see him they walk up together to goose on on Quetus. Um, but nothing is ever said between those two. And this issue, they actually have dialogue, not necessarily between the two of them, but basically Prince Robot 4 is telling Goose, I think, or, y- or Yuma, one of the two, uh, tell that horned bastard whatever, uh, because Prince Robot 4 has no love for um, anybody from Wraith. Yeah. Um, and Marco's just like, hey, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, th- that relationship is really awesome, too. Like... Okay, so that's essentially issue 25. I think we end 25. Is that where we meet the revolution? That's the reveal, yeah, the big reveal for the revolution. Yeah, we, we get some new weird-ass-looking characters because it's been a while since we've been introduced to any new weird-ass-looking characters. And they're all carrying Bernie Sanders banners. Essentially, yes. Um, so there's a lot of things about Saga. They're not really carrying um, Bernie Sanders banners. No. Uh, I really love this group of issues because uh, we get... Well, a lot of things. The story goes in a way that I don't expect, which is, you know, the whole Alana Marco partying thing. Um, that, I think, pays off really well um, past the issues we're talking about. So that's a fun story. Uh, um, and again, in a trope-defying way, sort of. Well, and here's the thing. Hazel actually mentions in 22, I think, that um, which, whichever issue that the ship actually takes off. Yeah. Hazel kind of ends that up, that, that issue saying... And it would be several years before we saw each other again, referring to her and her dad. Yep. Um, so it kind of alludes to things that are going to happen beyond where we're at right now. Um, yep. Concerning what happens when the revolution picks up and everything. So the, the other thing is that, man, I think we talked about this already, but the dialogue in Saga is just so good. Yeah. Like, um, obviously we here at the Whatever Show are not sensitive to bad language. Um but the what the 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 dialogue in this is just really clever. 
um, in just a lot of different places. It's really clever for a lot of different reasons. Um, we've already kind of talked about this, but there's a lot of sort of social issues that fall into Saga too. Um, this is something that I don't, I didn't pick on immediately. Uh, but you know, like we were just talking about, um, you know, the sort of subtext towards, um, wreath and landfall being sort of proxies for, you know, say the United States and, you know, China or the United States and Russia and so on. Um, just amazingly done. Uh, the artwork remains just outstanding. Um, I don't know why, but this is one of those books that I can immediately read and sort of picture happening. And the voices are all distinct in my head and all of those things that it's, I don't necessarily get from it's all dialogues. the other books. Yeah. It's, the, the, I mean, it's the dialogue. The dialogue is amazing. People don't watch Kevin Smith movies because they like action. You know I what I mean? Um, it's it's dialogue. It's uh, Everything is dialogue driven. And it doesn't really matter if it's a, if it's a comic book movie or um, if it's an actual comic book you're reading or if it's an art house picture or anything else, like if there's not good dialogue, there's not a good way to tell a story. Um, and again, that kind of is almost contradictory to my point where art is a big thing when it comes to comic books, but you have to have both, I think in, in a visual medium anyway, but um, you can have a, a ton of pictures, but at that point, like it's kind of just up to the reader to interpret what's happening in those pictures um, unless they're really clearly defined. Um, so you really have to have good dialogue to motivate um, one character to do something uh, completely drastic compared to what another character might do with the same piece of information. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the this about- is this is this is probably okay. I'm gonna say this in a in a um, if you're a if you're an adult who's not easily offended by um, pictures of genitalia. Um, or bad language this is probably a really great comic book to pick up if you've never read a comic book before um because it's the best comic book i can think of to illustrate the fact that a comic doesn't have to be uh a superhero story to tell a story Uh, a comic book can be just a medium to tell a really great story that has nothing to do with superheroes um it doesn't even really have to do with fantasy although this particular book does um it's just a really good story, and it's told in a really, really smart way. You know, Saga is basically a space opera, um, but it's done in, in, in sort of an interesting contemporary way. Um, the thing about Saga for me is that the dialogue is, is is amazing. The artwork is amazing. The story is really compelling. Like, and you don't exactly know where the story is going, but I'm hooked. Like, I just keep wanting to read, and so I did. So I've read every issue that's out now because I was supposed to read through 25, and I was like, well, I got to find out what happens next. And there's still 10 more books available, so I read them all. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't do that with a lot of books, but Saga is just that kind of story. And as much as you know, other comic books, especially you know, like superhero comic books, surprise me. Um, the arcs are sort of similar just in general um that's not really true with saga you see something new with saga all the time uh and it's just a really interesting book to read yeah it's definitely if you're easily offended this is not the book for you um but if you're not if you like you know clever witty dialogue and don't mind some bad language and some really sort of quasi controversial um imagery read it it's so good if you've ever wanted to see a robot asshole read it totally um, here's the thing, which actually looks a lot like a regular human asshole. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of pasty and bluish yeah. The robots we're talking about, if you haven't read Saga, the robots we're talking about are basically people with, uh, giant TV heads. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've got a couple things. Um, number one, as Eddie mentioned, there's 10 issues right now. 
Um, by the time we sit down and do this next week, uh, I fully expect to have read all 10 issues. And so we're kind of bring going to bring the saga read through to, to a head. It's not done by any means. Um, no, it's I'm just, we'll, it we'll have to do every book this on a monthly basis rather than on a weekly basis. Um, we already have five issues of spawn in the can. So I don't think I'm going to make Eddie read another five issues before we sit down next week. Um, although he is going to have to read spawn violator or the violator miniseries is three issues. So you'll need to read those. And we'll talk about. You're gonna have to remind me for the millionth time this episode, but yes, I will yeah. totally do that. We'll uh, we'll read the five issues of Spawn that we've already read, plus those three issues, um, and finish up um, Saga, or at least get current on Saga. So that's what that's next week. Also next week, um, we are gonna have the um, Seven String Slinging Sultan of Shred Ryan Bailey from Dead Nexus sit in sit in with us. Um, this is going to be a fun episode um, because not only are Dead Nexus is the is the band that did the music um, for our show, and they didn't necessarily do it for our show, but yeah, they let us say, use it. They did the music and then we stole it for our show. Yeah, they let us use it for our show. Um, but this isn't going to be one of those typical things where we bring him in and he gets to plug his shit and then like he goes off about his business or whatever. Um, Ryan actually watches all the shows that we watch. Awesome. Um, and and reads a lot of the same comic books that we read and stuff like that. So um, he's going to be able to plug his stuff for sure, but then he's also going to actually sit down and have a conversation with us about the stuff that we would normally talk about anyway. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, lastly, we have fan feedback. Do we? We do. This is amazing. This is this is from Rob in Grants Pass. Um. Robin Grants Pass says, Jesus, tell your buddy to get off Cavill's dick. <laughs> Holy shit. I had to check what podcast I was listening to. Um, to which I responded, um, we have a lot of fun doing what we do. I'm pretty sure he tries to crawl up Affleck's asshole in the next episode. So check that out. Uh, <laughs> guilty. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, they're they're both really good for the roles. Maybe not written the best that they could be, but yeah, whatever. So yeah, that's our, that's our fan feedback. Um, if you didn't want to listen to homoerotic fan fiction, <laughs> boy, have you turned into the wrong show. No, he actually went on to um to talk about how he really likes the uh the 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 back and forth on the show. Um, and that it sounds like we have a lot of fun doing what we do. Um, and we do. Um, and honestly, this is feedback that take it with a grain of salt. Um, it's my brother. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, that's actually, um, the only feedback we've gotten. And so that's, um, Hey, you could leave us more though. Uh, questions at whatever.co go to Twitter, find us at whatever show, um, facebook.com slash whatever show. And you know, any of those are uh, fine. If you know us in real life, you could probably just yell at us as we walk by, but we'll forget about it most likely. So I don't know. I'd probably hit us up on one of those other mediums first. Did you do the Twitter one too? Yeah. At, at whatever, whatever show. show. So you didn't do the questions at whatever.co then? I did. I started with it. What? Oh, man. Facebook.com slash whatever? You did might, all of them? Might have brought it up. Yeah. Maybe? Slash whatever show. That really. might have Facebook. been a really clever way to repeat all of those. Show. Yeah. No, I, I totally <laughs> didn't. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on there. Um... 
Yeah, because right now, my brother is the one that's given us the most feedback. And if you listen to the show and you're tired of hearing about Dude, my brother... We're um, four hours in. There's nobody hearing this right now. <laughs> if you stuck with it this long, you deserve it. Uh, you can write us. We will talk to you. Yeah. I mean, tell us we're shit. I don't care. I might tell you to go fuck yourself, but tell us. Yeah, it's fine. All right. All right, we'll see you next week. We're going to talk about Spawn and all that good stuff, so...